0: Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast.
1: Brent, we have gathered here in your basement once again this uh, month. The studio. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, sorry. the Broken Token mm-hmm. studio. Yes, yes. I, I pulled back the curtain and I shouldn't have done that. No, so no never I that. didn't break it fourth wall style, but hey, <laughs> we're here for episode 42 of the show, man, and we have... We've gathered kind of on, on quick notice, Brent. I mean, we've uh we've really we've really kind of um it's been I, rough here recently. It, yes, it has. Yeah, it has. And it yeah, seems it has. to be the
2: theme is the, the beginning of the last few shows where yeah, it's like I, us complaining about life. I,
1: I know, I know. And I didn't want, I didn't want to insult us just right out of the gate. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to be a little self uh, self deprecating, but at the same point, it's like yeah, we've we've got um, a lot going on with uh, going down to Atlanta for the Southern Fright Game Room Expo, and man, the month uh, the month ekes away without really even noticing it. Man, I
2: know I have been running around. Hold, at, hold, hold. Who are you? Yeah. Where am I at, and what day is it? All I know, I was in the backyard, and there was some dude trying to get in my back door. Uh, he didn't get shot, Oh, no, he? I'm sorry. He, I was in the backyard of the studio, and there was oh, some dude trying oh, <laughs> to get in the studio door. Yeah,
1: oh, gotcha. I see how that works. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, yeah, he's a
2: strikingly handsome guy. <laughs> we'll say that.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, headed down to Atlanta, and we, well, we just didn't want to miss a show. No, you know, no, no. Oh, we never want to do that. Never want to do that. So, uh, this this month's show is going to be a little bit different format. Uh, we're not going to spend any of your... Your money this this month, Brent? Are which, you sure? Um, no, uh-huh. <laughs> you're not but, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, let's put it this way: what we spend will be uh, far <laughs> less than usual. Okay, but uh, we've got some pretty decent topics to talk about, you know, auction, auctioning, and, and things like that. But uh, before we get into all that, how about uh, how about let's talk through some updates and what we're going to do down at uh, down in Atlanta?
2: Okay, yeah, let's start with SFGE. Okay, cool. I guess you could call this our pre-SFGE. Tune up show, you know we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna touch on everything we're doing. You know what tune up implies, don't you? Uh, should I Google this? No,
1: no, no, no. I I mean, it, it means, is it something I don't want to Google no, on no, no, PC? no, it implies that we were good at one time, so, <laughs> so you know <laughs> hey, we're kind of
2: we're trying to uh, yeah, trying to bring it back. Yeah, we, but, we've we've we faltered and we're trying to come back yeah, to yeah, you know yeah. our old self. Yeah, that's it. That's it. No, man. Yeah, uh, going to Atlanta. Looking forward to it. The good thing about doing like the pre-show shows. Is is that we can, for the first time, see everything that we've kind of got ourselves into in one place on virtual paper, if you will. Yeah. And then we can step back
1: and say, "Oh my goodness! Oh <laughs> wow! We don't have much time left, Brent. <laughs> yeah, We got to get on here. <laughs> we
2: we, we got to chop chop." So, if you haven't heard of SFGE, uh, why are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> SFGE, Southern Fried <Fright> Game Room <laughs> Expo, uh, hosted by. Our good friends over the game room junkies, Preston and Patrick.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and of Shannon. course and of
2: course Shannon DeWitt. Yep. He's not necessarily on the show, but closely associated with the show. Yep. Held in Atlanta, June tenth through twelfth, Atlanta, Georgia, at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly. And that, yes. that sounds very uh
1: It sounds very uppity for for a guy like me. I was going
2: with pretentious,
1: but we'll go with uppity. Yeah, it's pretty high stepping as we would say here in Kentucky. I'm going to have to get my good shorts. (laughs) Yes, yes, you yes, and wear them (laughs) and wear them forwards and not backwards. (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
2: So we'll have links to the Southern Fried Game Room Expo and the show schedule. Uh, the show schedule as of say that fast th- three times show schedule show, sh- show schedule so show sch- <laughs> nope ain't gonna do it yeah ain't gonna make it you to carry on so we'll have the the show schedule as of this recording yeah was recently posted mm-hmm. and from what i understand it's pretty darn close to being final i mean there's always some last minute trade rounds there there is there is uh so i would encourage everyone to check that out and, and this is the same thing i say after every show before every show if you're a new listener you know hopefully this will uh, uh help you out a little bit make sure you check out that show schedule there is a lot more going on than just the games and the guys down in atlanta um, yes do a really good job of adding things you know kind of to the to the mix i, I, don't, know, I don't know if any other way to put it i've not been to this venue at the prior venue uh, you would kind of pass a little tea in the hall where you would go to the rooms where they would have the panel discussions and and all that kind of stuff so there I mean there was signage and you you really kind of had to work to miss it but you could miss it you Mm -hmm. know if you were if you were focused on getting down the hall where the games were yeah so I'm not sure how this venue lays out I don't know how things are broken up Mm -hmm. one way or the other you'll get a show program it'll have the schedule in it check it out I, and I, check the, pa- not, don't have to check us out.
1: Nah. nah yeah, nah.
2: we're just, you know. Nah.
1: You, you'll hear about us anyway, so. You Do know, we fall
2: in as like eye candy? It, is that us?
1: Um, yeah, sure. Okay, all right, we'll go I'll, with that. I'll let you makes, think that. Makes
2: me feel better. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, one thing, Brent, that I love, and, and, and everybody listening, that I love about the Southern Fried Gamer Expo is the um, the year-over-year, what I would consider uh, quality of the of the, the the guest speakers that they have at this show, because they 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 mix some of the heavy hitters of the of the hobby and of the industry together with what I would consider some of the more um, I,
2: I hesitate I say uh, eclectic uh, eclectic speakers. I maybe? thought you were going to just slowly. Work your way into asking why we were there. Well, we can. Yeah, <laughs> you we can you started that. on the upper end of the scale, <laughs> yeah, true, and then that brings you all the way down, all the way down to yeah. us. Well, you know, we are, free. and there's a large gap between
1: well, us and the next higher. You know, free labor will buy you into a lot of <laughs> a lot of places, but nonetheless, um, it's it's nice because they, they they do they have a very well rounded eclectic uh, mix of of guest speakers that cover just such a large variety of topics. I mean, they've had Billy Mitchell, Walter Day, Joel West, you know, and, uh, you know, pinball designers galore and everything like John Trudeau, video Barry game Osler, artists, video game artists. Uh, yeah. I mean, you na- you name it, there has been a fantastic showing of uh of speaker talent uh, to date but I, i'm telling you if you go out to their website southernfrygameromexpo.com and look at uh and look at some of the, the guests that are going to be there i mean you're looking oh, at hold on hold on
2: yeah let's let's get to the headliners in our own mind okay let's talk about where we're at
1: Okay. Okay. Let's, let's knock that out. Let's knock that out. Okay. I will. Then, I will
2: hold this thought because because I was just looking at the list and I'm like, well, we're going to have to take every advantage that we can. So it's our own show. So we're going to headline this sucker. Fair.
1: Fair, fair enough, man.
2: <laughs> but there's
1: there some people that are speaking that like it, us. It, fair enough. That that are very very interesting. That like I, us. That I would have never. I don't think been able to have access to 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 hear from, you know, had had they not kind of been thrown into the mix here for this show. Oh, here's
2: yeah, yeah yeah so, real okay, quick Brent, talk, talk about us <laughs> here's our here's our appearances so, yeah friday night june 10th we are going to appear on the podcasting after dark panel starts at 10 p.m it's in the chancellor room which sounds very uh um, again very uppity yeah very yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna have to i have definitely i'm gonna have to wear the good shorts and maybe a belt yeah so it's going to be whitney and myself Jonathan Lee Young and Tim Peterson of Arcade Repair Tips. Mm-hmm. Taylor Reese. And, I, you know, Taylor, has, he's a pinball guy, and he's recently started a show. And uh-huh. I am sorry, Taylor, but I don't know. Oh, nope, nope. Nope. This Th- flipping Podcast. I just, yeah. the, we've got a link here on yeah. SFG's page. Yeah. This flipping Podcast.
1: Yes, this flipping Podcast. To, and we've, we've talked to Taylor a couple of times, and uh, certainly looking forward to meeting him face-to-face. So it's going to be cool.
2: So and, you, Taylor uh, chimes in a lot on some of the other pinball podcasts. Nice asset to the community. I know he makes some uh, replacement parts. So. Yeah. So he is he's what we like to say all in. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Saturday <laughs> we, no, need, go we need those guys instead oh, of hacks yeah. like instead of hacks like that. Oh guys. yeah, we're just yeah. oh we're so we are just so just like phoning this in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Saturday, June twelfth, Whitney and I both have been granted the privilege of hosting. Sessions. God, Saturday, June 11. Brent, I'm sorry, 12. Yeah. Dang it, it's, it's the 11. Uh, I'm looking right at it. Yeah, starting at 1 p.m. in the Galleria room, we're going to taking it to the shop, making an old pinball game new. So, what's behind that? We are going to yeah. take you through wh- in the time that we've got.
1: And, and, and Brent, let's let's talk before you get
2: into okay. that. Let's just kind
1: of talk about the structure. You're going to kind of headline that headline this session. And this this is really going to be a very pinball centric a very pinball centric delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll provide support color commentary and you know the uh, I guess the obligatory head head bobbing like I sometimes do while we're here in the studio and everything like that. But uh, yeah, this is going to be neat because this is going to be you know kind of quote unquote the Brent Show you know on on this particular topic. And I was telling you earlier, it's like I'm I'm looking forward to this because there's going to be some
2: stuff I'll learn as well. So what what I'm going to do here is I'm going to share. Some of the tips, tricks, and techniques that I have learned actually taking a pinball machine that has that it's it's ready to be broken down mm-hmm. it's come off of a route yeah it's set in a building forever it hasn't worked in a decade. what I do the process I go through to bring that machine back to life uh how to clean it okay techniques I've learned uh dealing with the play field techniques I've learned touching up play fields yeah uh techniques. Uh, talk about maybe a little bit of the electronics now we, we've got an hour for the session Yeah. so there's a lot that we're going to cover and I'm going to make it as I've got some ideas we've got some giveaways Whitney and I have got some kind of things in the works so don't think this is going to be a boring session if you've listened to the show if you enjoy the show it's going to be that it's going to be live and it's, oh, it's going to be with funny yeah yeah it's going to be with funny pictures yes so yeah. if i uh, have to give
1: you a wedgie to make
2: people yeah, laugh i'm doing it we're yeah, doing it yeah, yeah, so, yeah, i'm doing it absolutely so you got
1: to go you all i need to hear from you is that you're committed oh i'm committed yeah, okay, absolutely good. i'm right, in
2: fair enough if that's what it takes yeah. i'm in <laughs> so yeah we're going to cover how to shop a pinball
1: that's excellent that's and great.
2: To some people, this may seem like old hat. If it is, you know, I'd still encourage you to come because... You're going to pick something up. I think you will. Yeah. I, if there's anything that I've learned in this hobby, there is not one way to do one thing. Yes. There's multiple ways. And, yeah. And uh, I don't know if time will permit, but I'd love for people to come up to me afterwards or email me, contact me, and I'm sure Whitney would afterwards and say, hey... I learned how to do what you did, but I do it this way, and I you can do it better and quicker and faster. Well, it, so
1: and, and let's let, let me toss this out here. One of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to this session is because I'm I'm one of the Johnny Come Lately guys to pinball. Okay, I freely admit it. I am. My machines are newer Sterns, mm-hmm. and there's no reason for me to shop out a newer Stern. What do I do to a newer Stern? Spend money on it and mod it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, play it. That's it. But I don't I don't need to, I don't need to sh- quote unquote shop it, you know. I know, yeah, I clean it, I wax it, I do all the things that I should do as you know as proper ownership of the machine and maintenance. But that's not shopping it, though, Brent. Not 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 in my mind. So I'm sure there's guys like me that don't
2: have older machines, and we need to learn some of this stuff. And, so and that, I, I'm
1: I'm all ears, dude. And, it's and great. That's,
2: that's what I'm there hopefully to help folks with. Yeah. And, you know, as a quick example, I know a lot of. Uh, of folks in the hobby who will look at a machine and I, and they've been pinball players, pinball owners for a long time, let alone a new owner or a potential owner of a machine. Yeah. And that it just looks, and it is to a degree daunting. How do you deal with all that? How do you take all that off? You know, how do you address uh, uh, cleaning ramps or how do you address cleaning wire forms? Yeah. How do you get it all back together? <laughs> you know? And, those are some of the things that I want to talk about and show some of the things, the techniques that I've learned over time. No, that's great. That's, that's helped me out. Yeah, so, no,
1: that's awesome. That's awesome.
2: So a little. That's at one p.m. in the Galleria room. Seven p.m. in the Galleria room. Whitney is up to bat. So yes. what do you have going on, Whitney?
1: So this session is called "Repair, It, Restore It." Don't spend your money on it. <laughs> spend Brinson instead. Uh, so so here yeah. here's how here's how this is going to go down. So, um. We're gonna. This is a bit of a dual purpose session, and I'm not going to say it's going to be split 50 50. Where 30 minutes covers one thing and 30 minutes covers another, but it'll it'll be a mix in there. And so, what we're going to do is talk about. Uh, some things that you can do for yourself, that you can build for yourself, okay? And uh, I'm even, Brent, I'm even going to go so far as, uh, assuming all of my timing works out, but this is the goal, to have a published bill of material for the project that I'm going to unveil at this specific session, okay? Uh, and this is, uh, re- this is repair equipment, some stuff that I've been building, and, uh, you know, my favorite thing to do on this show is spend your money, okay? It, it is. It's just like <laughs> one of the most favorite things things to do, but you loved it. I I do. (laughs) That's the reason why I do it. And, and so, um, so we're going to talk about how you can, how you can do things. You can do things, um, a couple of ways you you can you can economize, be a little frugal, and meet a certain price point and meet a certain level of functionality, or you can go a little further out and kind of bake in quite a bit, uh, and then uh, and then kind of step it up a bit. But we're, we're going to walk through the, what it takes to build some test equipment, Brent. That, so, that's and, what we're going to do. And, okay. And
2: so let me even add to that a little bit. Yeah. The bend on this is for. Look, I hesitate to say the average game owner. Let's just perhaps, maybe even the semi-technical or beginning oh, yeah. game. This we're not pulling out oscilloscopes. No, and no, 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 making, no, 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 no. We're not making. No, no, no. This, these are handy things that anybody should have in their arsenal yes. to help them through their collecting life for video games for video games for video games
1: mm-hmm. that's exactly right and I'm doing this based out of necessity for myself because these are things that I've just never had mm-hmm.
2: and things I do things that
1: make it easier to own and, and maintain and games. maintain games yes. and I don't even know how you go out and buy this stuff so what do I do I spend your money and I make mm-hmm. stuff which is what we're going to do the second part of this though Brent and, and I, I will say uh, the second part of this session is going to be what I'd consider a guilty pleasure, okay? But I can't spend your money without doing this is we're going to talk through uh, a couple of items that uh, pretty much take us from uh, from zero to brand new reproduction game okay and i'm going to pick a couple of titles i'll probably zero in on one title and just walk through how the industry has evolved how the reproduction parts uh i guess kind of uh, underground hobby has it has evolved mm-hmm. and take you through literally building a game of reproduction parts uh a bill of material through the bill of material and talk about what's available okay it, it's I, I think it's i think it's going to be very interesting it's going to be enlightening. I think it's going to be fun, too, because, uh, you know, man, when we're when we're sitting there talking about, you know, how much do you have to spend to do this? How much do you have to spend to do that? Um, it's it sometimes gets a little personal because this this hobby can be very money-draining if you yes. let it.
2: it. This is like most anything else yeah. In that you can get—you can put deep. in as much in it and get as deep as you want and to get. And get as deep as you want to get, right. and we're going to try to prevent that from yeah. happening. Yeah, there's a lot that you can do Yes, w- just— Learning from those that yeah. have already made the mistakes—that's exactly right, Whitney. I know if there's one thing I'm good at, mm-hmm. yeah, it's making a mistake.
1: Oh, me too, dude. Me too. I mean, that was the whole idea behind this podcast, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so, it's to is to try to help other people out. So, yeah, it's going to be a very lighthearted, fun-filled hour of talking about building your own test equipment for repairing arcade games. And I think it's going to be pretty sweet, dude. And like I say, well, I'll make sure that we have a bill of material for everything, so that so that everybody who's there can go out and
2: replicate what I've done. Okay, and I think there's I think there's value in that, and I think there is as well. So, a couple more points about SFGE. Uh, Of course, if you're looking for a broken token T-shirt, we will have. Oh yeah, we'll
1: have them. Have a big
2: big old tub,
1: maybe even two tubs of them. So, so,
2: you know, we're working on a couple other little surprises that we're not sure yet if it's going to kind of work out. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a little more. Yeah. Uh, But at a minimum, you know, if, if you're looking for a shirt, I know Whitney's talked about it on the show. You can contact Whitney uh, Whitney at Brokentoken.com, and he is more than happy to take care of you, but we'll have him with us at the show. Yep. Uh, During the presentations that we're giving, we're going to work in some door prizes. Yeah, some giveaways. You know, we always always, always like to have a little fun with that. Oh, yeah. And wanted to hit this specifically before we just kind of give a quick just overview of some of the scheduled guests i wanted to spotlight the charity auction okay so do i you know what i don't even have the auction open once you look for that whitney so we can find out exactly where the money's going to we are going to donate to the charity auction i should we do, should we say yeah we should help with the surprise. oh yeah, yeah yeah
1: no no we we have to
2: okay oh, so, yeah. so real quick okay wait yeah this is going
1: to uh, the Atlanta community th- this silent auction benefits the Atlanta Community Food Bank okay so this is going to help fight hunger in the local Atlanta uh, or I guess the the metropolitan Atlanta area okay so I, in my mind a very worthy
2: cause so our yeah. our first donation is very apropos in that we are t- donating to the silent auction mm-hmm. a canned ham. A canned ham. A canned ham. Not just any canned ham. No, it's, it's had dude. water added and it has zero trans fats with <laughs> It's a canned ham. Dude, it's. But it's also been. It's a canned ham signed by uh, Billy Mitchell Joe no. Joel, Joel West. Whoa! At, and, whoa, whoa, whoa. And brian Koo. So,
1: oh so that
2: <laughs> that is it
1: legit that Brent. is a canned hand yeah. buddy it's going to be worth easily what would only have been hormel's worst nightmare is now nine dollars <laughs> so, easily, easily yeah easily nine
2: bucks okay so i would encourage everyone to uh, make sure they visit the area where the silent auction is yeah um open your wallets bid often bid it a lot yeah and take home that canned ham
1: well you know uh we in the auction industry brent we say bid early bit often and um you know something the the more you spend on it the more you're gonna like it so that's <laughs> how it goes
2: so love that canned ham <laughs> exactly. all that money goes to a good cause. Yeah,
1: no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I will have to give props to you, Brent, on the canned ham because uh, you literally knocked over three grandmothers and, uh, and you know, need Joel West in, in the ribs to get to Billy Mitchell. And Billy was uh, very, very accommodating on signing the canned ham. So it's, uh, I mean, it's it's legit, dude. It is. I got yeah. a
2: couple sideways glances for having it done. But, you know, you set out on a task out. and I do it. Yeah, yeah, you were, it worked out. So, so cool. let, let's grab a couple of the... Uh, kind of the events that are going on off the schedule, just as a quick highlight. And then yeah. y- let's you and I get on to some updates. Yeah, okay. That, that sounds
1: good. That sounds good. So
2: w- the big thing that just jumps out at me is Friday night wrestling, a W E at S F G E. They, and, and, I'm going to have to click on the link here. <laughs> I think it's Atlanta Wrestling, yeah, Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment. They're going to provide... I'm reading from the site. Quality ver- entertainment and revive... <laughs> professional professional there's actually professional (laughs) i'm laughing and then someone's gonna walk up hey i work for the i'm in the awe then i'm gonna get body slammed (laughs) yeah Uh, and provide quality entertainment and revive the professional wrestling industry that was once thriving a thriving part of the atlanta culture so they're gonna have live wrestling 90 minutes of it (laughs)
1: live wrestling
2: live wrestling excellent 7 p.m. on the tenth.
1: I wonder. I wonder if they're getting a bookie. I wonder if they're, they're going to have a bookie there. You know, for the over and unders and the Ooh. bets and stuff like that.
2: So, so I see film screenings, screenings, screenings. This, this is you know, this is how professional we are. <laughs> film screenings. I see yeah. Nintendo Quest going to be a concert. Let's see, 9:30 to midnight. And I'm still on the tenth, which is that Friday that Friday. Of course, we are on Radio Free SFGE at 10, uh, 10 o'clock. Charlie Emery from Spooky's going to be in. We're going to have game designer Bill Adams uh, yeah, worked on Tron, Satan's I, Hollow, Spy I,
1: Hunter. I'm so looking forward to that session I, because... You know, Brent. I mean, I, I love Satan's Hollow, and I know it's kind of a controversial game in the in the land of arcades. And I I can't wait to ask that guy some questions around. <laughs> you know, has that title haunted you? You know, is, what was going on? How 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 do you even devise Satan's Hollow, and then get it through everything that needs to be gotten through in order to actually get it into production and you know and, and on the ground? I I just I just find that that is so, that is so interesting to me, and uh, stuff like that in the in the uh, i guess uh, overly politically correct world we live in today you know uh satan's hollow just couldn't exist you know mm-hmm. when, oh, it co- uh, yes, when it comes to agree. that so it's 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 a, it's and, a and very am interesting piece of I'm yesteryear
2: not, i'm not aware in gaming history of anyone ever having lost a life limb or even a toenail to the game satan's hollow no, so yeah, yeah me either me we either. all survived and,
1: it yeah it's i mean it's it's a uh, largely benign but at the same point it it's an interesting uh, interesting point in history
2: so let's take a look saturday june 11th whitney if uh, let's see here, why don't, why don't you hit that one? Because I'm sure that everyone's tired of hearing me talk at least for the next thirty seconds.
1: Uh, I don't have that page pulled up, dude. <laughs> so keep talking see, for the next
2: thirty seconds. See, so. that, I, that that I threw him under the bus, <laughs> folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I threw him under the bus. That, that's how that happens. I was looking at the speaker page, quite honestly.
2: So from from Mind to Meeple, constructing tabletop. So you want to build your own board game? That is going to happen at 9 a.m on uh, Saturday, June 11th. There's going to be heavy focus this year on board gaming. There's going to be dedicated board gaming areas... It's going to be a big part of the show. As yeah,
1: well. it, there is, and one of the speakers, John Kovalik uh, or Kovalik, I'm not really sure the the proper pronunciation of that. And I'm not a big board gamer, so I, it's. Uh, I mean, I, if I'm murdering that that uh, pronunciation, I apologize. But I mean, if you look at his if you look at his resume as to what he has done in, in that segment of gaming, I mean, this guy this guy has got so many so so many um, you know well received. Titles under his belt, Brent, and it's going to be great to have him there. Just, just to learn something, uh, you know, learn about a segment of gaming. I just know nothing. I just really know nothing about.
2: Uh, see, Saturday we've we're seeing a lot more than usual. Or Am I just tuning in on it? Uh, uh, we just, have to. So, somebody out there let us know. It's, it's are we? The,
1: it's the bane of the podcast. Are,
2: are we? Are we? Are we at an acceptable normal level of us? <laughs> <uh's? laughs>
1: we're, we're we're okay,
2: man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday also. 10 a.m., Jonathan Leung and uh, Tim from Arcade Repair Tips. They're going to have a seminar, Help My Arcade. Oh, I just clicked the link. Help My Arcade Game Sounds Like a Tattoo Gun. Okay, <laughs> so they're going to cover common and strange questions that they receive from people about arcade games. Now report.
1: that's going to be fun. Yeah. Okay. Now, now that I understand the context behind the session, that's going to be that's going to be pretty entertaining. Actually,
2: looks like we're going to have a session on uh, p- uh, the pinball color DMD revolution. You know, I, yeah, and re- kind of replacing dot matrix or DMDs.
1: That's going to be awesome because we're going to be able to hear from from someone who has worked on coloring. Games. Games and I'm sure there's there's going to be a lot of um, there's just going to be a lot of knowledge shared there. So I think that's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be
2: cosplay seminars, board gaming seminars, pinball seminars. Dude, a Ghostbusters tournament? Did you see that? I saw the Ghostbusters tournament. Yeah,
1: yeah. So okay, it's. I mean, it's going to be fun. There, there is. It's. It's yeah. wall to wall. Yeah, it's. It's going to be a a, a bevy of uh, a bevy of things to do. So. Oh,
2: and let's hit this real quick. I think this was a, a win, if you will, that the organizers were were really happy to to make back to. I've seen this movie, and so if I'm mispronouncing this, back to Rylos, a conversation with the last Starfighter's Lance guest. So Lance was the star of The Last Starfighter.
1: Okay. It, um, I hate to say this.
2: Uh, oh, we're going to go down this path, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, never seen the movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you want to know something, though? I did get the black hole on Netflix, okay? Oh. So I got that coming. So I guess I need to see The Last Starfighter before I go to
2: SFG. Hold on, wait and up, I wait hate up.
1: to. I, you know something, dude? Here, Here's the thing. I hate... Wait a minute, wait a okay. minute. I got, okay. I got to move my pop. Filter. Okay, all right.
2: <laughs> Ugh, yeah that's me banging my head against I, the mic I, I know
1: i know but you know something dude that's how comfortable i am in this medium uh you know no i have never seen the last starfighter i i'm i don't know you but you know something here's the thing <laughs> but I, but i appreciate it from i appreciate it from the aspect of what it is i mean i recognize its importance to 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 the culture i get that
2: 6 30 in the chancellor room yeah June 11th, film screening, The Last Starfighter. Okay. I'll be there. All right.
1: I'm going to have to watch it.
2: So check out the schedule. There is a lot of stuff going on. We could talk forever and a day about it but we'd just be kind of reading you the schedule
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah so instead of yeah just yeah, go to the yeah. website just hey, go to the website you got it I there mean, is
2: I'm, it's, it's just scroll and scroll and scroll and faces i recognize and uh i see lance i see charlie from uh spooky i see of course ja- us, jaguinary jack from jersey jack yeah. i see uh, a lot of folks that i don't recognize from the tabletop from the uh, the board gaming area there yeah. is just all kinds of things going on. Yeah,
1: it is. It's it's gonna be it's gonna to be tons of fun. Looking forward to going and uh you know And
2: ham, bit on the ham. And
1: bit on the ham, bid early, bit early, bit often. Wallet. That's how it goes. So uh hey Brent, um as far as updates go this month, uh, it sounds like you've been on the road a bit, so why don't uh, why don't we hear about what's what's going on in the world of Brent over over the well, geez dude what, what's it been it's only been like what two two
2: and a half weeks two and a half so? weeks since yep. we
1: recorded the last episode so man you better you better have some stuff to talk about here dude <laughs> I don't <laughs> <laughs> like I said there's the secret behind good podcasting the
2: Yes. honesty yes honesty the, the dial has been turned to 10 yeah. still in terms of just things going on I have managed to kind of eke out some time for uh, arcade you know hot the hobby the big thing was i attended an auction in cincinnati a coin-op auction so okay and i didn't i just generically say coin-op it it auctions let's just be honest auctions in this day and age are more redemption equipment more uh ticket vending equipment yeah um dart machines you know there's still video games in there a lot of those games are your driver type games your bigger games there's generally always everyone i've ever been to that's coin op there's pinballs and there is a selection of classic (laughs) type ish ish -ish games Games. you know even if those classics are a lot of converted cabinets that are running some bad dudes or something some kind of game yeah so let's just go with coin op auction. And, and that was the case here. It was a couple family fund centers. And of course the auction was open to anybody that wanted to bring equipment in. There was everything. It, all the pictures are on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash broken token. There are some really cool pictures because part of the auction was a full 18 hole black light reactive mini, mini golf course, a putt putt course. That's awesome. So, you know, there's, there was like a shark with, a hawaiian shirt on that was like eight foot tall and all of in birds that were six and eight foot tall and all of it was painted in black light vivid color black light reactive paint so i can only imagine what this looked like spread out (laughs) over however much space it takes to lay out an 18 door (laughs) indoor 18 hole indoor golf course (laughs) yeah and light it yeah yeah so well, there was a lot of capsule vending equipment, a lot of bowling okay. machines, a lot of change machines. I tell okay. you, the did you bring anything home? Well, real quick, the the I wish I'd have brought this home years ago in Las Vegas. I think it was at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a Star Trek exhibit. And I think it, if memory serves it was the Star Trek experience. Oh I,
1: yeah, I I'll tell you Jackie and I went on that. It was so much fun. And that's that, that was at the Hilton before it shut before they shut it down. Oh, the Hilton's gone? Uh, the, or the experience? There's, I know the I know that I know the experience is well, gone. I'm not sure if the Hilton shut down know, or not.
2: The reason I know the experience is gone is because there was some of the change machines from it ah. at this auction. In this is in Las Vegas. Yeah. When, when they did it, you know, you, you, they had a motion based ride, and yeah. it was like you were. You walked in and it was like the bridge. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Romulan's attack and they shuttle you off into a shuttle. Yeah. (laughs) And you're avoiding a Romulan bird of prey and you're flying over the strip in Vegas. So you're in this thing that's the interior of the shuttle and the whole thing rocks. And is this the same thing you did with? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we went to Quark's bar at the end of it and everything like that. It's like Quark's
2: bar in Deep Space Nine. I think that we went the
1: year before they shut it down. Okay. So, I mean, we were at the very tail end of it. But um, man, the people that were there in costume were like really, really serious. Yeah, they took their role seriously because I'm walking through the I'm walking through the bridge of the Enterprise, and I'm sitting there touching, you know, some of the iCars controls.
2: And I th- isn't that how you say that? I don't. Y- I th- I'm not th- I even sure what you're talking about. No,
1: no. Like, like on, uh, like on the enterprise, yeah. uh, uh, the, the next generation, I think, you know how they have like the row, you know how like the, the computer interfaces yeah. that yeah, Jordan co- data yes, use, and data yeah. use. It's all the sweeping, the sweeping
2: yeah. rows and the yellow, I've seen every one of the episodes. I didn't realize there was a name
1: for it. it. There's a name for that interface. And I, I believe it's called iCars, if okay. I'm not mistaken. But anyway, but that, that whole interface, you know, when you're on the bridge, that whole interface is lit up and I would touch stuff. And the, in one of the, the the bridge member, the crewman come over and told me to stop, you know? <laughs> and she's like, you don't do that on the bridge of the Enterprise. And I'm like, but none of it works. And she goes, it's keyed to our DNA. And I'm sitting here going, you're deep DNA. in. She's deep in. I'm like, yeah, sure. I bet that is, you know? Well, see, but anyway, when, yeah. well,
2: when I went through it, you, Great could have, experience. you, Great couldn't, experience. you couldn't bust out of the where you were oh okay and maybe by the time you got there i can't remember <laughs> they
1: just didn't care anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, it was a little loose maybe yeah, i don't know
2: maybe by the time because I, I remember you were kind of in the back and then yeah well anyway yeah once you got out past the experience like you said there was corks bar yeah. and it was all it it looked pretty darn good oh,
1: it looked real good yes
2: yes so somewhere in in the whole Thing for lack of a better term, they had uh, a game room or you know something that was themed accordingly, yeah, and they had change machines and they were in these custom aluminum. Boxes that kind of mm-hmm. had that Star Trekky futuristic kind of sweepy design. Yeah, they had a couple of them here in Cincinnati. That's wild. And okay, I thought I don't want that. And then after the fact, I thought that would be pretty cool. Man, I wish I had that. Because yeah, it's just a common change machine, but it's in this overly custom futuristic mount thing. Yeah. And they, it was just really neat.
1: Really neat. Let, let me ask you, did you get your picture taken where they superimposed your head over a over a red shirt uh guy and then you do not? Oh uh, I
2: did, dude. It was awesome. I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah. So is that in like the gift shop or something? Uh,
1: yeah, it was it was at the end I think it was at the end of the experience and then you paid, you know, whatever, you know, eighty five dollars the stuff costs in Las Vegas or whatever yep. it is. And then I'm sitting there in a uniform, you know, like right beside Captain Picard in, in data. (laughs) you know, and it it was pretty sweet. See, now you're
2: going to have to find that. We're going to have to post it. (laughs) Yes,
1: I am going to have to find that. I need, when I get home, I need to ask Jackie about that and see where that thing's at because I have no idea, but I'm sure, I'm sure we got it. So I need to find it, but oh yeah, dude, I was, you know, that that was like a a much younger, more svelte version of Whitney in that picture. And yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet. That needs to be your new
2: headshot for the podcast. (laughs) So, so the auction, it was a lot of amusement type equipment. There was, carousel like four horse carousel after four horse and they were they were well loved there was a lot of the little car rides there was this was really tilted toward amusement and kind of a redemption center type situation there was a, a row of your full length like 14 or 16 foot lane or length lane actual skee-ball, skee-ball branded skee-ball machine. So was, you one, know, two, I'd three, love four, to get a skee-ball machine seven.
1: and I know, I know, um, you know, I, I know the fam would really love to have
2: one, but dude, I need a skee-ball machine like I need another hole in my head. I, I counted like a 12 in this picture and i'm not even the all of them's not even in this picture so (laughs) do you remember what they went for i see i don't have a hard time selling
1: yeah i was gonna say (laughs) it's not everybody who can move a skee-ball machine you know know, i
2: got i got to talk with a few folks that were there that were actually putting together the equivalent of a a game room Uh in the area or not too far about those folks who had dedicated space they were having a hard time because yeah. it was just too big. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just too their, their Their business hadn't grown to that yet. Yeah. There was a Ferrari F355 Challenge. <laughs> Man, and
1: I remember you posting the yep. picture of that. If there was one thing that I would have liked to have bought at that auction,
2: it would have been that right there. It uh, It was just right on the edge of a few more nicks and scratches. Uh-huh than I would have liked, but it was still very nice. The only thing I saw that it really needed was a shifter knob. Okay. And I got to play it. It it was pretty darn cool. I, I did it is, was.
1: How much did it go for? Do it, you remember? If memory
2: serves, it went for like 500 Wow. But it is... <laughs>
1: Huge. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's you're right. You're right. It's it's huge. But you know something? That's the kind of that I'm not big big into modern you know quote unquote modern drivers. Mm-hmm. But that's one I would sit down and play and enjoy. Well, if you listen
2: to Scott Scott, Scott, Scott Schreiber, i trying to Schreiber. think of Scott's last yeah. name. Schreiber. Scott Schreiber on the retro game gaming, gaming roundup. Uh huh. He has one, he yes, also he, does. he owns a Ferrari. Yeah, he owns. I think it's a 355. Yeah, and the game is is basically. simulator and then you can depending on how you select the game from my understanding of his description is it's a simulator or you can back down and have the game manage some of the aspects of driving to make it more of a just a A driver type game, yeah, like a like a rush the rock or something type of game. Understood,
1: yeah, exactly, (laughs) yeah, it's something, yeah, Daytona USA or something where you're just not really, you know, you're driving, but you're just kind of really guiding. Yeah, so yeah, so
2: check out the pictures on the Facebook page. I got to attend that. You asked what I brought home. I didn't bring home anything for me. I went with one of the guys from Rec Bar. We talked Mm -hmm. about Rec Bar on the show.
1: Yeah, last episode. He bought
2: several pieces to go into Rec Bar. I brought home a Hydro Thunder for a friend of the show, Jimmy Litzy. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. actually at my garage still right now. Gotcha. There was a couple things that interested me. It was more of just like capsule vendor type things that yeah. would kind of be a cool game room accessory. Yeah. The the prices were okay. I they weren't okay for me just to have like a throwaway thing that i was going to set in a corner so i just i kind of passed on it let someone else enjoy it
1: so was it worth the trip though i mean that's driving all the way to cincinnati and back so you've automatically invested at least three to three and a half hours of your day just just in drive drive time just in drive time was
2: it it worth it at the end of the day yes because i got to help some folks i I know that uh, tony at rec bar you know, I was just helpful to him in terms of labor. There was a couple other Louisville folks that were there. You know, I could help them out. They helped us out moving games. Kind of the unforeseen issue that we had was we ended up caught in one of the worst storms that I could recall in a long time. Yeah. And generally this time of year, we get some pretty wicked storms through through the, the Kentucky, Indiana area. And it's a long, narrow, but violent Line that you generally see on the map. You know, there'll be like a, a green and then yellow and then a, just an ugly looking red stripe through it, and it'll wash through an area, like literally wash through an area. This storm was just, it was huge. It was circular. And it wasn't like tornado circular, but it was just, it was instead of being long and narrow, it was short and fat and yeah. it just sat on us. Okay. So, We actually, we didn't do too bad. It only added an hour to the trip, but we ended up having to pull over at truck stops and go under the awnings. And, you know, I had some tarps and we, you know, you shrink wrap for, it's hard to shrink wrap four drivers on the back of a trailer.
1: And and you know something, dude, and when we get to a little bit later in the show, I'm going to talk about why I am done shrink wrapping. Yes. Oh yeah. I am. I am done with that.
2: So speaking yeah. a little later in the show, we're going to actually talk about auction etiquette. Yes. So for folks that haven't been in an auction, this has kind of sp- spawned us. Whitney is a licensed auctioneer.
1: I am, yeah. Now and, I, I do. My, both my brother and I uh, have auctioneer licenses here in the state of Kentucky. Now my brother has his active. Uh, he works for an auction company on the side. I have mine in escrow uh, at, at this point because I'm I'm not doing auctions because quite honestly, Brent. You, time. I don't have time. So yeah. I've got mine in escrow. But yeah, I'm, I am a licensed auctioneer and I can bust that baby out anytime I need to. I'm not going to do it here on the podcast because I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to lose our listenership or anything like that. But <laughs>
2: yeah, my brother and I have uh, been auctioneers for years, actually. So yeah. So we'll talk about both sides of mm-hmm. it, you know, how to kind of prepare yourself for an arcade auction. And other than that, really, since we've last recorded, I have just kind of continued to go through this cleanup cycle where I have still. Uh, there's still piles of little things left around from the prior months. I have boards here, this there, this little project there, monitor chassis laying over there, just things that needed to be attended to. And I've just been whittling that away. And in between, I've been trying to help a couple of local folks with some repairs. You know, one of the local guys, he had wanted a, a change machine like I've got in my game room. I've mentioned to folks on the show before, yeah. I actually run my game room on quarters. I give you the quarters. But you have to go over to the change machine, and then you push the drawer in, just reminiscent of the old days, and it spits out quarters, and you use my quarters and my machines. Mm-hmm. The folks in the area have kind of liked that idea, and they've, you know, friends of mine, friends of Whitney's and ours, they've slowly added change machines to their game rooms. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll start yeah. the way I did, with a bucket of quarters, and then eventually a change machine. So, you know, I had the opportunity to help a local collector who recently snagged an RDAC model 8000, similar to mine, 8000 series, set his up for a free play so he can he can run quarters in his game room. So. Oh nice. Yeah. And other than that I'm just kinda of looking down the tunnel to the light when I can make some Brent time to actually <laughs> Work on some of my old games. It's I, if I go around the corner here where the Back to the Future is stashed. I think <laughs> it's actually rooted into the ground. Yeah, and I, I may actually have to break it free.
1: You know something? I don't feel bad. My zookeeper is in the same state because uh, my zookeeper has been sitting unfinished for a year now. It's, and it's uh, hard
2: to believe it's been that long. It's it hard has. to believe
1: it's been that long, but it has. Yes, it has, and I'm I'm ashamed of that. But I mean, you you you're,
2: you're thinking it. Thinking back, the zookeeper was brought to you, not the last Louisville Arcade Expo, but the Louisville Arcade Expo a year removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yes. <laughs>
2: we need to, we need to make some, some game time, Whitney. Yeah, Enjoy no, the hobby. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so Whitney, speaking of what, what have you been up to, buddy? Well,
1: you know, Brent, while I was working on the show notes, uh, I, I was, and I was, I was driving home from uh, a meeting from work and I was sitting there thinking and thinking about, you know, updates for the month and getting them in the show notes and everything like that. And, you know, once I sat down and, you know, started typing, it's like, okay, well, I've done this and then I've done this and then I've done this. And it, it just, it's kind of weird because even though you may not get a lot done from a repair or, you know, or a restoration perspective, you know, little bits and pieces pop up over the course of the month. And so, you know, I, I have spent a pretty significant amount of time just working on the SFG giveaways and in the presentation that, that I'm in, you know, the, the props I'm going to be using for the presentation that I'm doing, you know, the session that, that we're doing that we spoke about just a, you know, a, a little while ago. So quite honestly, man, I've not done a lot of working on my own game. Games this month, just simply because we know that as of this recording right now, we're essentially what three weeks out, you know, to, to SFG or two, you know, between two and a half and three weeks out. So there's uh we're, we're kind of on a timetable now, and I'm just I'm giving that priority over everything else, but, uh, but that's where I've been spending some of my some of my nights, but. Get this, dude. Uh, I did, uh, you know, on the console side, and I have found that to actually be fairly, fairly easy in a low resistance way to make some <laughs> to make some progress <laughs> from a collecting standpoint, you know, because they don't like really require a lot of uh, a lot of restoration or anything like that. But, dude, you know, I've talked about this a couple times on the show, and I, you know, I have made some progress on fleshing out my uh, boxed Activision cartridge collection for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred.
2: Yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah. this is broken token classic I know. arcade I know, I know i know i know and pinball i know i know okay all yeah right. I,
1: okay. I know i know okay but, all right but you know I, i'll just talk about this for a second <laughs> simply because the find this month was so unbelievably awesome i, I could I, I can't keep myself from talking about it okay 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 so so it's it's it, it's um it's it, it comes, I guess, in, in a couple different from from a couple a couple of different angles here. So, I did pick up a, a couple of Activision cartridges, boxed a- Activision games or cartridges, you know, boxed. And I got Private Eye and Crackpots, which are two that I've been uh, looking for for a while. And I'm I'm rounding I'm rounding down what I need to finish my Activision collection. And uh, then Brent, what I've what I've thought about doing is uh, once I get all of the boxes, I've got a, a project that I'm going to do with those that I've been wanting to do. for for years and years and years now. Fire pit? Um no, 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 no. no. We're <laughs> not gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. I, I chase after the man that started the fire pit with those. But uh but anyway, that's that we'll just have to wait for that to come about. But um
2: so did, were these like collector purchases were they eBay's were they uh, both of them were eBay's. Okay. So
1: I was able to get them at auction and uh, for what I consider to be very a very fair price because you know Brent I you know I I kind of case out the local haunts uh, in my hometown and you know here on the, let's say the east side of of Louisville mm-hmm. and I'll find a lot of cartridges yeah. from time to time but I don't find the box games, okay? I, I have
2: found box games, Atari games, mm-hmm. but it's been it, a lot of uh, in television games, yeah. But it's been years. I
1: know. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, eBay is where eBay or Game Gavel is where I find a lot of that stuff. And and sometimes on Atari Age. And so you just have to kind of you know case the internet. And when when you see the right deal, you just have to be willing to pull the trigger and get it done. But uh, but nonetheless, you know, from a cartridge perspective, I've I've picked up a lot over the past you know six months or so. You know, just uh, Game Stops and you know just stuff like that. Just crazy stuff just shows up. Goodwill and everything like that. Um, so yeah, I talked about this uh, several months ago, and I think I've just about got this narrowed down on a really nice cartridge storage solution. So I'm I'm working on that, and hopefully I'll have something to show for that uh, next month. But dude, get this, and and I know I texted you on this, and I was just so happy about this. I texted it to my brother, <laughs> I texted it to another buddy of mine, Joey, really good friend of mine, and uh, and then you as well. Dude, I found a new inbox. Nintendo Entertainment System in NES action pack. That's crazy. Yes. New in the
2: box. Like okay. it was still see, like the plastic was still sealed on all the everything. I busted it open, dude. I couldn't help myself. I mean, was there tape on the flap of the box? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah, tape on the
1: flap of the box, every bag. Now, I have not I have not opened up any of the bags, okay? The unit is still sealed. The gun is still sealed. The cartridge is still sealed. All of the posters are there. And, dude, the crispness of those posters is unbelievable, okay? You know, the RF the How does RF that end box, up in a Goodwill? I have no idea, but I have you know, absolutely zero no, no idea. You know how
2: that ended up in a Goodwill? Uh, what year did that come out? Uh, what, 80, 86 maybe? In 86, little Timmy. Yeah was a demon
1: <laughs> and, and their parents took it away from And them.
2: mom put it in the top of the closet uh-huh. and she forgot about it yeah and it never saw the light it of never day. saw the light of day exactly but yeah
1: so i i found that at a uh, at a goodwill and brent uh to to say that i snapped it up would be an understatement so uh, i've not cracked it open you know outside of just breaking the box open just to make sure that it was actually what i thought it was and it is and so um i've got to figure out what i'm going to do with it uh, uh, I don't really want to sell it because Brent I had my brother and I had an NES back in the day and you know when we used to play you know Super Mario and Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 and all that and I can't even tell you what happened to that console. I don't even know what happened to that console. And I've missed having an NES for years, but I've never wanted to just go on eBay and just buy an NES, you know, just buy a, so- a faded NES or you know a junk NES. I've always wanted to try to find a good one. And I just happened to stumble I, across this. So you think you're going to open it? I don't know what
2: I'm going to do. I, with if it. you want an NES, I'll give you an NES. Oh, uh, have you got some? I've got two. Do you really? I, years ago, I um when I was collecting Atari consoles, st- stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of things made their way into the collection. I had yeah, Sega's. I, I had um had a lot of Intellivision stuff, and I ended up years ago. Gosh, I'm trying to remember if I was. I didn't think I was doing arcade at the time. Yeah. I, I got. And this was in, this was definitely when eBay was still good eBay. Yeah, yeah. And I went through and I pared all that down, and I did keep two really nice NESs. Okay, all right. so if you want a nice NES i'd say let's just leave what you've got in your as a gem of the collection and <laughs> yeah. i'll
1: give you an nes okay i mean i'm I'm not you know i'm not too proud to say no so that's <laughs> that, that's a okay but um but yeah dude I, I mean i just i couldn't walk out of there with that thing fast enough you know i mean the box is pristine it's all i mean it's it's beautiful dude it's beautiful so um i you know i again i i I, I, I guess it's a good problem to have I yep. don't really know what to do with it at this
2: point uh, well, how than, many of them are left I'd say just keep it sealed yeah. there's no way I'd open that sucker. Yeah, exactly I wouldn't have opened the box well matter of fact I'm not your friend now <laughs> yeah
1: dude I had to I mean I, I have I have open box syndrome I, I can't handle it I mean <laughs> I saw it I got it out there I, you know I you know I split the blister tape on it and I'm like I've got to know if this is real or not and, uh, and sure enough it was But <laughs> you yeah. think
2: it was full of soap well, who knows Brent who knows uh, you know uh,
1: something it, because the People, at Goodwill didn't open it, and yeah. I, you know, I bought it based on
2: the box. So while there it is. We're, while we're talking console stuff, yeah, uh, one of the actually, I still work with him. He sits behind me at the office we're in now. Um, he was collecting Nintendo and the like, and years ago, he he found he, caught, he actually caught me in work one day. He said, "Do you have a Vectrex?" Vic Marlin's gonna love this. He said, yeah. "Do you have a Vectrex?" I said, "Well, yes, I do." I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Vic here in just. A okay, second. yeah, cool. I said, "Well, yes, y- yes, I do." Yeah. He said, "Well." I've got a 3D viewer, and I went, "What?" Oh. And this, this was this was probably fifteen. Is that an accessory 20, for the Vectrex? They had a 3D viewer. There I, was mean, a, I know nothing about the. There Vectrex. was a selection of 3D games. Okay, and the, they had this viewer with this uh, color wheel, and I can't recall if it was a different wheel per game. Seems like there was a couple different wheels because it was changeable. But you put this the most. Imagine the most. Non ergonomic thing you could strap to your face, yeah, with uh, with like elastic straps. Okay, it was like flat, and it's imagine then taking that, take the thing that you that you look through at, a, at an ophthalmologist, good, better, oh yeah, we'll yeah. just strap that to your face. Y- yeah,
1: yeah, good, better, worse, and you then know. put yeah. a
2: motor in it and a spinning disc that you think is going to slice your nose off. Uh-huh. That is the three D image. Oh, did he give you one of those? No, no, because at the time. The going rate for these at the time, 15, 18 years ago, was just for the viewer, was like 600 bucks. Oh, wow. He had gone into a thrift store and didn't know what it was, and then he went home that night and looked it up, and he was at the thrift store when they opened, hoping it was still there. The very next day. It was still there, and there was, I want to say it was all but maybe one of the games that were released for it uh, still all boxed. Okay. So apparently somebody had gotten a hold of it back in the day Uh when it was like going on clearance and then he had they'd snapped it all up because it was probably that was my guess yeah and it ended up in the thrift store so wow wow wow. yeah it you know this this was uh, you know back in the day when a a nice digital camera was like a megapixel and a half and it was a grand
1: yeah exactly so
2: uh I believe he turned that into his first digital camera oh <laughs> but oh, it was just it was amazing yeah i couldn't imagine it then, let alone what you found
1: yeah so. well i mean i i was I was pretty happy i mean it was one of those scenarios where i, I wasn't going to leave without getting it, and you know it was priced right, so you know, I can't really complain. You know, it's not—it's not like it was an arm and a leg or anything. And so, you know, you just—you just—you pick it up and you roll on out of there, and saying, "Okay, if I've got—if I've got what I think I've got, I, I, I made out. If I don't have what I think I have." then I'm not really I'm not really hurting that much either, mm-hmm. you know. So it worked out. One thing that that I was able to um, that I was able to do though is when I told my brother about finding this, he's like, ah oh, man, Whitney, what are you gonna do with that thing? I'm like, Courtney, I have no idea. Open it up ruin it. <laughs> yeah, open it up and ruin it. There you go. But um he's like Are you gonna are you gonna get it out and play it? And I'm like, no, it's still sealed. You know, I mean it you know I mean Brent, all of the plastic around you know around everything in that box is still either still Stapled or sealed, you know, as it was. I've I've looked at all of them, okay? And so um, you know, so I've I've not busted that open at all. But he's like, you know something? I think that I still have some of those NES carts that we used to have when we were kids. And I'm like, what, whatever happened to all those? And He's like, man, I found them at mom and dad's house like nine or 10 years ago. And I put them in a Kroger sack and, uh, and I've I've had them here at the house ever since he goes, let me see if I can dig through the closet and find out where they're at. And I'm like, okay. So we went over to, I went uh, you know, we as the family all got together this past Sunday for my, for my mother's birthday and I said, hey, Courtney, have you got those NES cards? He's like, yeah, let's go upstairs. I pulled them out. So, dude, I go up, I, you know, go upstairs in his house. We go into a closet, and he hands me a sack full of NES cards. And Brent, these are the NES cards that he and I played on as we were kids 30-some-odd years ago. Oh, sweet. The original cards. So, Zelda 1 and Zelda 2 was in there. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, uh, Gauntlet. Kung Fu and Excite Bike. and uh, man, I walked out of there a happy, happy man, you know, because it, you know it wouldn't have bothered me to buy them on eBay or buy them at a you know at a show or something like that. But at least there's some nostalgia there because I have the carts that we that we got, you know, is that we bought as kids. Mm-hmm. So it may not be our NES, but hey, at least it, it's our games, you know. And and for that, I'm I'm happy and thankful that that uh, that he kept them because uh, quite honestly, dude, I had forgotten, I had all but forgotten about. All of that. You well, know? if you
2: want to change the battery in your Zelda, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I have the bit. Uh, oh, do you
1: really? Yeah. Okay. I, I need to look at it. I think I do. Um, and I am going to pop the cartridge open and, and take a look at the battery on it. Mm-hmm. Because you know what I want to do? I want to play Zelda with my daughter. Oh, that's what that I be want to sweet. do, Grace. I want to introduce Grace to Zelda and take her all the way through it, and uh, her and I play it together. So
2: we're not going to do it now, but this just popped in my head. We need to talk about Pi meme at one point in time. Yeah. Okay. And that, all right. that Basically, that's a distribution that some someone has spent time to put together that you can plug into a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, and I think no, it's Pi Play. Pi Play. And it's okay, got I've never heard of it's it. It's got a stack of emulators, including Mame, so you can okay. experience you know your arcade games at home. But it's got Commodore 64. It's got NES. It's got yeah, okay. And, and they ha, who, the the person that's done the distribution, it's plug and play. Yeah, you no, know, no pun intended. Yeah, you don't have to do all the work. You just add your ROMs. Okay, so anyway, gotcha. that might be something to talk about. Anyway.
1: Okay. That's cool. Well, um, and, and I'll, 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 I'll mention this, even though it's the very last of, the sh- of, of my notes, but I want to mention it because it's topical. And I know you're holding on to one of these for me, but dude, uh, if you're reading the show notes, you'll kind of see where I'm going with this. But I uh, had a friend of mine that I used to work with years and years and years ago, okay, that used to work for a hospital. And I got in touch with him and I said, hey, is there any way that you might have access to? Or know where uh, the monitors that the hospital used to use, and I'm talking about the PVM monitors, mm-hmm. you know, the the uh, the uh, video the uh, the video monitors, you know, the professional video monitors or the broadcast video monitors, PVM or, or BVM uh, monitors might might have been, or what the hospital might have done with them. And uh, he got me in touch with a guy who was facilities for one of the hospitals here in town. Uh, I got in touch with them, and uh, it took me a few weeks to get this all sorted, Brent, but I was able to go and pick up out of uh, storage a brand new, and dude, it was still sealed, okay? so You're, this, having, you're, this,
2: you're having a, st- a still-sealed month. Uh, yes,
1: this month has been epic as far as new-in-the-box goes. But dude, I picked up a new-in-the-box 20-inch Sony PVM Model one u okay so uh, I haven't uh, broke I haven't broke it out and haven't got into it yet I've just got the box and I got the PVM at home uh, It wasn't uh, what I would consider cheap okay but it was a brand new in the box still sealed 20 uh, inch uh, PVM So that's what I want to play Nintendo and Atari 2600 on and I'm uh, super happy about it If you go look that up that, that's what I'm actually looking okay right now. fair I... enough yeah it's actually a security. Uh, a security model. So why did the and? hospital have these? Were they for security? Or? I don't know. I, I guess you know. I, I can't. I can't really. T- I can't really say that because they've been sitting down there for so long. Well, you said
2: you contacted a friend that mm-hmm. had worked at the hospital. Mm-hmm. That that. So, so you must have known that they used them for something.
1: Well, I. I intuited that they used them because the, the places that I would think that they would have had PVM or BVMs would be TV stations, okay? Yep,
2: that's where I think uh, of,
1: TV or broadcast stations, or hospitals where they would have used them in let's say, um, you know, ambulatory or, or medical applications where they used them for chart tracing or, or something like that, or maybe closed circuit monitoring or something like that mm-hmm. of hospital rooms, okay? Uh, or, or, like you say, and, security.
2: And that, and that makes sense because these they're built to be rugged they're built with high quality parts and you know you're going to put them in a situation where they're going to be used and abused for a long period of time. And so they, they, have stay on, they stay on, they
1: stay on forever for hours. They stay on for 24 hours a day or what? whatever it may be. But, uh, but yeah, the guy, yeah, the guy that I wound up talking with, he's like, yeah, he goes, I think we have some, you know, some down here. Let me know. or I'll let you know. And he emailed me back and he said, Hey, I found one of these. Would you be interested in this? And I went and did the research on it. And I'm like, uh, dude, I, I'm like, are. Are my eyes deceiving me or is that thing still sealed? He goes, yeah, it's still new in the box. It was never used. I'm like okay. There you go. There you go. So uh, so yeah. So I, I found uh, found a really nice I uh, found a really nice uh, PBM that I can use for that. Um, I and mean, dude, uh, you know I did get the black hole in on Netflix, so I've righted that wrong. But I know I've committed a much more uh, higher scale Have you actually watched sin. it? No,
2: not yet. Okay. Not, dude, oh. I haven't had time. You haven't completely but, righted it. Yeah,
1: I haven't righted you've it. Turned but, uh, the,
2: you've, you've turned the rudder, but the ship hasn't
1: responded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As if we were watching Star Trek, the helm is not responding. Yes. So yes, you know yes. that's how that goes um one other interesting thing that I did get to do this month though, Brent, is um, I was uh, chatting with uh, with Victor uh, Marlon from the 10pence arcade podcast and uh, Vic and I did a Skype call this past Saturday night and just kind of chatted for an hour or so and uh, just just catching up you know I, I was talking to him about a few things and he had uh, contacted me uh, actually via Twitter and we were uh, kind of messaging back and forth with each other and he was like he was like hey mate you know I listen to your old, uh, episode last episode, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, uh, Ali express and he was just like, you know, uh, he goes, I've, you know, I bought some stuff from them. I, I've gone through the the rigmarose of, uh, you know, just kind of proving out some stuff that they have. I feel like I've got, I found some better equipment than what Ali, you know, Ali express sells. So we just hopped on Skype. You know, it was, it was late. Uh, it was late for him on a Saturday night. I caught him at like 6 PM or something like that. And, um, spend an hour or so just talking through like uh, super guns and JAMA setups and, you know, stuff like that. And Victor's got a lot of experience with that. And so it was, it was neat just kind of catching up with him from what Brent, I guess, what six months ago, since we were six to seven months ago, oh, since we yeah. saw him. It's Christmas. Yeah. And, yeah between, uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas of last year when uh, he and his wife, Tori were, uh, were over at my house. So, uh, you know, so yeah, it was neat just to catch up with Victor and, uh, and you know, I, I got a, got a chance to do that as well. Um, and dude, the only other thing that I had going on is I picked up another nice free wood grain TV from my local recycling center, <laughs> you know. So never passed that I, up. Never passed that up. So I, I've yet to crack it open to see what's going on with the tube, but uh, it is uh, it is definitely of the uh, of the. Uh, i'll say old and early 80s vintage uh you know it's a it's a Sears TV and we'll see what it is <laughs>
2: you know well, you i know, don't know it, you know it, it you got to take the chance you got uh, to somebody just yeah. last night about replacement tubes and you know they made the comment that you don't they're fewer and farther between even on the side of the road yeah and if I'll still see them on occasion and sure enough I'll still check and i'd yeah. be lying to you if I told you like out walking the dog I didn't come home and get the car you know a couple times and, and go you know, pick the past up couple a couple years go pick up a TV that's
1: exactly right it's right. exactly right so you know it's uh, the, the tube certainly looks the part and I know that means nothing when it comes down to uh, you know when it comes down to tube swaps but at the same point the vintage on it is right the TV appears right and uh, and here's the thing Brent I've got uh, I've got a, a really good understanding with the guys at my recycling center. I've got them to the point where they pare down what they accept and they hold the they they hold the old the older wood grain types of TVs for me and then they let me come up there and pick through them you know so I have a hard time telling the guys no don't save these for me anymore because Brent every tube is perfect you know cosmetically it looks great no scratches no this no that and man dude I bring the TVs home and I you know nine times out of ten I'll plug them up and they work you know that's the thing about it the tube fires
2: up I found that with a lot of the yes I can't think of any of the TVs I've ever picked up or been given that didn't
1: Yeah, I know, you know I know and so it's like hey great that thing works I'll put it on shelf and I'll get to it at some point in the future I just have a hard time not getting that tube you know now if it was the you know if it was the later you know kind of you know mid 2000s black plastic stuff no. Nah. but this stuff yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take
2: so cool. that's it dude that's what I've been up to man all right winnie well we've talked about it uh, already uh let's uh let's slide into a segment let's talk auctions and then let's talk uh trailers yes okay yes. well yeah. let's- well how about this man let's let's
1: take a quick break through the magic of editing we'll pop right back and yeah we're going to talk auctions and trailers
2: Well, Whitney, I mentioned that I had gone to an auction over the course of the last several weeks, and it was up in Cincinnati. Yeah, amusement auction, you know, coin-operated devices, family fun center type stuff, but there was some video games. So that made me think. Let's talk a little bit about auctions, and you know, we'll put a little bend to the to the story to kind of cover your, the coin op auction. Yeah. I've been to a few general auctions. Yeah. That have also had games, but the auctions have been just everything. And there was a game here or a game there. Okay. Let's kind of focus on amusement auctions, coin op auctions. Yeah. So, First of all, generally, just let's just talk about how the auction works. And we mentioned you're a licensed auctioneer. I'm going to go at this from the side of the auction attendee, and you're going to go at this from the side of the auctioneer, yeah, or, or, or the auction company, the,
1: the staff, yeah, the staff, yeah, right. so somebody working it from from the other from the other angle.
2: Sure. Like I said, a lot of this is going to be general. Uh, but however, a lot of it does hold in the industry. Thinking back real quick, the amusement auctions I've been to have been hosted by one of, you know, three different amusement companies. Some I have visited several times. Uh, some I've only been to once. OK. okay? Yeah. Uh, back on the uh train again, Whitney. I'm having a hard <laughs> time with this already. <laughs> Basically, w- when you show up. First thing you want to do is you want to register. So if you've ever seen an auction on TV, everyone's got their, their registered numbers, their cards. And I've seen this all over from a scrap of paper with a number hand drawn on it with a Sharpie yeah. to a nice card with uh, areas for notes on it. We'll talk a little bit about what that's for later. Yeah. Whatever you do, make sure you register. It's not uncommon for the auction co- company to want to hold your driver's license or you're a deposit of like a hundred dollars, yeah. or both. Yeah, that's right,
1: and and you just have to be willing to do that because. Depending upon the terms of the sale, uh, you know you you have significantly uh, or you have potentially a significant amount of money changing hands, mm-hmm. and they want to make sure that uh, you're not going to bid and duck out and leave. Okay, and you're holding; they're holding something of value to ensure that the that the transaction completes. Correct.
2: Yes. Speaking of uh, a lot of money changing hands, make sure you bring cash. Mm-hmm. All right. Because there's already going to be some premiums involved. Yeah. We'll talk about that here in a second. Cash is king. Yeah. So. It is. Whitney, you mentioned the terms of the auction. That's something that you really need to be aware of. Yeah. All right. When to remove equipment. We'll get into that as well. Yeah. So the big thing about auctions that, that really kind of, it, it's difficult for people to get a hold of is what's the auctioneer saying? Okay. So do you have any history in this? Why is I, it that? I, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I do. I mean, in you know,
1: going through auctioneering school and then getting your you know getting your license and everything. I mean, we all you know all auctioneers have their own chant. You know, I've got mine. I have mine has a certain rhythm to it. My brother's, he has his. It has a different rhythm to it. But the goal is to. Is to continually move the buying cycle along. And it's to the point to where you are literally sing, you know, you're literally sing-songing the the current price and then the asking price, and you're doing that in such a way that uh, that you're that, that you're really just trying to you're really trying to almost push kind of a wave over the audience and move, uh, you know, move across the audience and say, you know, here's where I'm at, here's what I need. Will you give it to me? Will you? Give give it to me and then use it as a way to gauge when the, when the buying public is done, then that's when the item can be sold to the highest bidder. And, and it's, I mean, it's such a simplistic,
2: I mean, man, it's, it's, it sounds to first listen to an auctioneer. It sounds like uh, they're just babbling.
1: It, it, It does sound like they're babbling, but at the end of the day, all they are doing are three things. Here's what I have. Okay. Here's what I want. And will you give it to me? That that is the three parts that make up the auctioneer's chant. Everything else in between that is sing-song, rhythm, and personal inflection. And you have to be able to learn to pick that out. To pick the numbers out. To to pick the number out that you have. Okay? And generally, they, they only say that. From time to time, there as in, in every auctioneer's chant has has a rhythmic cycle to it, and gen- generally they will repeat where they're at at the at the end of a cycle, okay, or if you want to look at it at the beginning of another cycle, and then the rest of that chant is, "Will you give it to me? Here's what I want. Will you give it to me? Here's what I want. Recognize the bid now. Here's where I'm at. They bump up the you know they bump up the what will you give me? The part of the chant. And then keep going again, and keep going again, and keep going again. So, if you can pick those three things out, the rest of it, the rest of it is just the the, the music
2: that moves the crowd along. So, so I would suggest when you get to the auction say you walk in and you look at everything that's au- that's going to be for auction Yep. it's very easy at least in my experience to understand where they're going to start yeah some auctions they'll have the items numbered and they tend to follow that number because it keeps their record straight mm-hmm. uh if it's a large place like you're in a a convention center or something that was maybe used for a state fair a large mm-hmm. area they will say okay I'm heading, I'm starting here. I'm heading yeah. here. We're going to do that. Here's the order. That's what they'll follow. Yeah. That is useful for people that's, that say, okay, well, I don't care about aisle one and three. I want to be here for aisle two and four. Yeah, and I'll, com- I'll come back at 11. Right. You know, If yeah. you have not worked with that auctioneer, or even if you haven't been for a while, I suggest you tag with the crowd for the first several items, and you'll start to pick up. That, that chant will start to become clear to you, uh-huh. and you will learn the rhythm. Yeah, Something to be aware of is they're talking the whole time. The entire time. It's hard on Whitney and I, and we talk a lot for our jobs, mm-hmm. to do a show and talk this Consistently for these blocks of time, imagine what those folks are
1: doing. I, I know it, it's it's hard. I mean, when I when I was actively auctioneering, you would go for hours, yep. hours at a time. But you know something? After after a while. The rhythmic nature of the chant and the fact that hopefully you're using some type of pa system yep. keeps you from wearing yourself out okay well where i'm going with that is is the auctioneer may change on you yeah oh yeah and and then the chant changes yep so just and, be aware of that and and i will say this there are, you know as with everything there are some auctioneers that that have very little rhythm to their chant, very little rhythm to to how they how they solicit bids, and if you're not listening to a good auctioneer or you're listening to someone who is laboring through the chant, it it, it makes the auction a whole lot less fun. If you want to know the truth of it, because you have to work really hard to try to stay in rhythm with what they're doing, and if they
2: break the rhythm all the time, it's it's actually harder on you. Yes, yeah. So here's my little key. I tend to pick up on the number that I hear most often because that is the ask mm-hmm. in my experience. Yep. So if I'm hearing 300, mm-hmm. 300, yeah. that's the number that, that that auctioneer wants for that it's item. That's exactly and, right. And if I raise my hand, Then I'm in at that. Yeah, you
1: are. I mean, any the the auctioneer is always looking for, or if he's using spotters, okay, they're always looking for tells across the audience, and whether that be raise your hand, whether that be raise your card, whether that be you know knock your knock your head back in a in a you know in, in a in a yo bro you know kind of kind of. Uh, I guess kind of movement or whatever, but there's a lot of things that you can do to indicate a bid. I mean, Brent, the auctions that I used to that I used to do were were all estate auctions, okay? But I've seen people, you know, wink. I've seen people, you know, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of blink their eyes a certain way. I mean, I've seen people that, that I, move a certain way.
2: And, 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 you know, there I don't understand that because it's almost as if are you trying to bid on something but not look. Someone else know that you're bidding. That's exactly right. And they
1: do it for they do it as a as a either a defensive or an offensive
2: yeah. mechanism so
1: that so that hopefully other people there that they know who may be in on the item don't know that they're in on the item. And you know, over time, as I would do these auctions, I would start to see some of the same people over and over again. And Brent, you understand who has money and who does not, and who has the pockets to bid stuff up and who who's gonna
2: bow out well, early you know, and things it, it, like that. And I, I don't understand that because at the end of the day if i've got a number in my head and yeah. you've got a number in your head yeah it it doesn't matter i mean i wouldn't do this to a friend mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter if i've got to know you in the parking lot or while i'm standing there yeah, but if dude, i've seen you at 100 auctions there are no friends at an auction right. exactly that's the and that, yeah. that's why i just i don't get that yeah i, 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 hey, know. I know i'm bidding. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, I, know, I know.
1: I know, but you know something? It, it's, I don't hide
2: the milk at Walmart it, it, Yeah,
1: but, you know, especially at the, au- well, I, yeah. I'll, I'll say the estate auctions that I've done for years, um, the, if for whatever reason, whether it be in a, in a more rural community or rural setting or you're dealing with family items and this and that, there are a lot of people who took that uh, very, uh, who took a very protected attitude towards mm-hmm. that. And so you just had to learn to watch for that kind of stuff. But, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. So but
2: so, so the lesson here for us yeah. is when you bid make sure you understand that you're bidding and that's and, the lesson yes. of the of the conversation Yes, Whitney, Whitney and I are very. Uh, talk, we talk a lot with our hands. We're very hand talk oriented. <laughs> I'm the worst. When dude. I go to these auctions, my hands are in my pockets. Yes. Uh, when when I went to the Cincinnati auction, I mentioned it with one of the gentlemen from Rec Bar. Mm-hmm. He's a hand talker like me, and I'm like, dude, stop, stop, you're, you're, you're going to buy stuff. You're going to buy this whole row. Yeah. You know, and if it's in, it's in. You better just hope that somebody yeah. else outbids you. That's exactly
1: right. Because the last thing that you want to do is be is commit. Mistakes at an auction, and it causes the entire thing to go off. To go yep. number one off off rhythm, number two off uh, you know off schedule, and number three you make
2: a lot of people really mad yes. at you. Yep. Really yep. mad. It's an uncomfortable situation. Yes, it sure. is. Yes. So to back up for a second, we talked about registration. We yep. talked about. cash is king and understand this kind of there's some more things that kind of go into the setup the understanding before you walk into the door when you register you should be informed of either through uh, on the on the bidding card that you're given uh, a sheet that you're signing look for some indication of what your premiums are yeah so expect to be in on state taxes, yeah. whatever that is, depending on the auction company, they may dip both sides. They may charge a percentage premium to the seller mm-hmm. and a percentage premium to the buyer.
1: Yeah. And that's how they get paid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this particular auction in Cincinnati, it was a 13% premium. A buyer's premium a of 13, thir- 13%? Right. So add state tax to that and you're right at 20%. 20. Yeah on top of anything that you buy every hundred is 120 that's, exactly It's crazy so like some of the higher dollar items there was a circus voltaire and i i want i want to say it went for like it, it was if it went for a few bucks let's say i'm pretty sure it went over six so let's say it went for sixty five hundred dollars okay it was a beautiful circus voltaire it was a why is it sitting here in an auction and not for sale into the inner pinball community, high-end collector? Why is it not there? Why yeah. is it here? Yeah. So yeah, let's just say I want to say this is fair. It went for six thousand five hundred. So the person, if I do six thousand five hundred times one point two, that's <laughs> itself plus yeah. an additional twenty percent. Twenty percent. That circus Voltaire costs that person. $7,800, almost $8,000. For, for
1: a six and change purchase.
2: Yes. Yeah. That's that hurts, man. So make sure you're aware of that premium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't overbid. All right. I've said this on the show before. Don't fall in love. Right? Don't don't go which, past what which you've got in your mind because mm-hmm. if you've You know, there's a couple games right now when I mentioned that I had gone to an auction in Tennessee not too long ago. I still kick myself for a game that I passed and I quit bidding at $100. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean the guy next to me wasn't willing to go $400. Yeah. If I had in my mind I wanted to give a $100 bill for that game, plus whatever the premium was, I needed to stop. Yeah. Because it is so easy To get caught in that cadence and that rhythm, and start going another ten, another twenty, because a good auctioneer—oh, he—he's—he's going to pull it out of you. He's going to pull it. He might start jumping an early on at fifty, but a good auctioneer, if he thinks he's got flow and he's got attention, oh, and if he thinks he has multiple buyers. He he's going to pull it right out of everybody. Right. He, he or she is going to pull it right out of everybody. He'll drop that price jump to 25 or yeah. he'll drop that price jump to 10. Oh, what's another 10 bucks? I'm already at 130. What's 140? Well, that's what he's banking on. That's where he makes his money, so you can't blame him. No. Set in your mind what you think that piece is worth, mm-hmm. keeping in mind the premium and stick to and it. And stick to it. Yeah. Don't fall in love. So, here here's something on uh, on the overbid watch yourself and the auctioneer because yeah. i've seen this happen i've seen the auctioneer um he'll, he'll, so let's say he's asking for 250 so you've yeah. got we got 150 250, 250, uh, uh say he's got one uh 200 he's asking for 250 okay one what did i just say whitney he's got 200, asking for 250. Jeez, and this is why I'm not an auctioneer. you, you got to <laughs> so, keep track your numbers, he'll, dude. He'll say 200, 250, 250, 250, 250, yeah. 250, 350, 250, 350, 350, He is just bid up the buyer 50 bucks Uh and he'll turn around the bid is two he'll shift from going 250 asking for 250 to 250 asking for three he'll sell it at 250 to the guy that bought a bid in at 200
1: yeah and you have to really watch that because the the auctioneer truly the auctioneer is not doing anything wrong he's just Getting as much as he can for the item. No, I, I'm based- saying
2: I've seen situations, Whitney, where the auctioneer has himself bid up, slid oh, the bid. Oh, oh, oh! I'm 50 sorry. Fifty bucks or oh, some value. Okay, yes. so you're
1: so you're saying that the auctioneer bumped it himself? Himself. That is unethical. Yes. Uh, uh, un- the only the only way I can ever see that being even remotely okay is if the item is struggling okay and he and he the auctioneer is willing to buy the item but he
2: should not be profiteering that way that is wrong so and i agree with you and i've seen it firsthand and i've seen it enough uh repeated to know that it's not an accident no you gotta yeah you have to be
1: careful you have to watch that
2: you know I'm not there's no company to call out here there's no No. individual to call out here no
1: that's that's an individual's choice you could what he does you could have
2: he or she does you could have a big auction that's running multiple auctioneers I've been to plenty of those and Bill could be straight as an arrow Mm -hmm. and Steve could be you know cricket as a river yeah so that you you have to pay attention you have to know what you're doing you have to know what you're what number you're at, and you have to know when you're out or when you're in. Okay.
1: Yeah. And th- th- I guess the one thing I'll add to that is, you know, is if a, if an item doesn't sell, then, uh, and we can, we can get into the whole reserve and buy back and everything like that. I mean, there's, there's a whole, you know, whole lot other discussion that can be had there, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, if, if the auctioneer feels that the item's not going to sell and if he's willing to buy it or his company is willing to buy it, then I've seen instances where the auction company Itself will buy an item to then resell at a later point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I have no problem with that as long as the auctioneer treats his transaction just as he would anybody else's transaction. You know, and he actually pays, he or she
2: actually pays for the item. Right. But, but that's you, you mentioned something that we actually put in the notes, which is a buyback. Mm-hmm. I have not been to any amusement auction. And this is not to say there isn't one. Yeah. I have not been to an amusement auction where buybacks were not allowed. So what a buyback is, is I bring a, a piece in and I have in my mind what I want that piece to sell for. Yep. And Whitney is buying the piece. He is the buyer. Yeah. And when he puts a bid in, he submits a bid, he accepts a bid to the auctioneer. And I'm like, okay, well, I want that piece to sell for $500. Whitney's at two. Okay, I'll bid. I'll bid two fifty. Whitney yeah. bids three. I'll bid three fifty. Yeah, and I will keep going. And if I win it, I don't pay the full premium. I might pay five or ten dollars. I cart that piece home. Yeah, but it didn't sell for less than I wanted it to sell for, and. Basically, I took a five or ten dollar risk.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can look at it as right. a, as a reserve, you know. Yeah, it's, from from, it's, the, from that regard, it's kind of a sideways reserve. Yeah, it, it is. It is, but it, it's it's a fact of the live events. I mean, yes. if you've if you've bought on eBay and who hasn't, you know, then uh, you know you're looking you're looking at essentially what is a reserve that protects it protects the seller so that to ensure that they get what they want out of the item, if they feel that the item is worthy of a reserve price. And so, so for the bigger ticket items, I can. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get it.
2: You know. so, so be aware of that. Again, set in your mind what you think that what you're willing to pay for that. And yeah. if it breaks, it walk away from it. Yeah, yeah, if, for sure. If he wants he or she wants to take it home, Merry Christmas. They well, take it home.
1: Here's the thing. So you mentioned the whole buyback, mm-hmm. and let, let me let me bring this up, Brent, because what I want to what I want to bring what I want to talk about next is it it's in your best interest to understand the players in the game when you're at the auction. Okay, so. Yes, you've got somebody who maybe bidding, a, you know, maybe bidding something up just to end the item, and that may that may very well be, let's say, on a on a bigger ticket item. That may be the seller doing, uh, that may be the owner doing the buyback operation. Mm-hmm. Okay, just be aware of that because if that's the case, you're not going to win against that guy, uh, especially if if he feels that he's not going to be able to pull the money out of it, and he's just advancing it back to the minimum to the buyback price just to move on down the line. Okay, mm-hmm. it happens. All right. The other thing is that you. The other thing that you really need to be, I guess, kind of cogent of is where are the bids coming from? Because in a large, let's say, in a large audience, a large venue, you can you can have your eye on the auctioneer, and the auctioneer can be seemingly taking bids from three and four different places across the room, and you don't understand how you, how your money is being spent so fast, okay? Or how your how, how, how it's climbing, or how you're not yeah. how the numbers are climbing up so fast. So what you what you really need to to do at some point is remove yourself from the from the fray of the auction walk around and watch who are submitting bids either to the auctioneer okay from the from the buying public or see if you can see if you can spot some people that are consistently proxying bids to the auctioneer because they may or may not be in auctioneer company clothing okay they they don't have to be labeled or logoed up or anything like that. They may be what are called spotters, and these are the guys that are out in the crowd, the guys or the girls out in the crowd that are soliciting bids on the floor and then have a direct line to the auctioneer as well as whomever the auctioneer may be pulling bids from. And these are three or four people that the auctioneer is always looking at and is giving priority to over everybody else in the crowd. Okay, So that may be why you may not be getting, not you, Brent, but that may be the reason (laughs) why you may not be getting your bid in, or you may be saying, "Well, it was just at ninety. I bid hundred, and why is it now at a two hundred and ten and climbing? What happened? You know, where did that bid come from? I just looked at the auctioneer, and he just took my bid. Well, if you if you got a
2: deep crowd and you've got those spotters, <laughs> you've got to watch, and, man. And if you if you've ever seen auction on a on TV, yeah, or and this this happens, you'll hear if a spotter is out in a crowd and he proxies the bid for somebody that wants it. Yeah, you'll hear ah. They yeah. will scream, yeah, and they're they're whipping the crowd up. They're yeah. getting the frenzy going. That, that's is what they're doing. Yeah. That, that's it. They're so, building the excitement.
1: Yeah. So you know, Barrett Jackson's a good example. Yeah. Oh, of that perfect I mean, example. A perfect example of that. So if you want to, if you want to learn kind of the, the arcade auctions are like Barrett
2: Jackson but with <laughs> dust, <laughs> yeah, in a, in a small venue.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, Barrett Jackson is is a gr- is a great thing to watch. Is a great thing to watch. Um, and then also understand who the clerk is, and you know, the clerk is is the person keeping the bookkeeping is keeping the books... As the auction proceeds, they don't necessarily have to be right by the auctioneer, but a lot of times they are. They're in very close proximity to the auctioneer because they're recording the, 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 the final say the final bill of sale, so to speak, on, on a particular item. And if the auctioneer has questions on what an item just went for or what 10, item, 10 items ago went for, they always refer back to the clerk. And, and the clerk has the ultimate say on what an item actually went for. Um, they're they're an integral part of the auction. Auction process, but they're not somebody who is up in the limelight. Okay, so uh, they're also somebody you don't want to bother because they've got a lot going yeah, on, and and, uh, and they have to keep their head in they're the tracking game. All they're tracking they're, all the numbers. They're tracking all the numbers all the time. Because I will say this: if the auctioneer gets caught, okay. In, in a in a bid in a bid war or a bid discrepancy okay especially if someone has a problem with an item that just sold a lot of times the auctioneer will refer back to the clerk saying what was recorded on on, on item X okay and the and the auctioneer has the discretion to reopen the, the item for bid between two people or something like that that feel that they may have you know gotten they may have gotten treated you know inequitably in, in okay or in, in an unequitable fashion but at the end of the day the clerk holds the paper okay so so yeah understand who your spotters are and understand understand the clerk and then you'll have a much more satisfying experience
2: so as what he said the clerk is recording uh the final sale Mm -hmm. so generally your auction will start with item number and then the clerk is recording the item number and the clerk is going to record the bidder number so as you're bidding you need to have your number ready it's pretty uh pretty you know parent when it's a new bidder and they get excited and they win it and then okay what's your bidder number and then you spend 45 seconds letting them search the po- every pocket in their cargo <laughs> yeah. shorts six times yeah. looking for that slip of paper they, they, they don't like you after that no, no 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 so you you know you need to have your card ready to show the bidder number now yeah. a lot of auctions if you say i'm I'm 14 they'll 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 throw you down you yeah. know there it's a there's a solid honor system there yeah, but i nonetheless I still like to have my card yeah. ready to go. Here it is, and when right, it gets
1: recorded, and then you write your own stuff down on that card as well, just to just to keep yes. just to keep track of what you've bought, because you don't. I mean, you don't really want to be bothering the clerk, uh, and and, and, the, and that data is being marshaled back to you know the cashiers at some point in time, whether it be you know by hand or you know well, uh, electronically, whatever it may be. Well, let's take
2: a. Let's actually jump into that right now. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things you can bring is I like to bring a note, a little notepad. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows me and my notepads <laughs> and I'll use that notepad to go through and say, all right, I'm interested in uh, this and it's, uh, it's item number this. I in inter- cause if. Every one auction I've been to, there's a PA. Yeah. And no matter where I'm at in the building, no matter what the auction is, I can hear if they're on item 78 and I know that I want to look at something. I want to look at item 88. Yeah, okay. So I'm listening for the numbers. So I'll make a note of the item number, what the item is, and what, and I'll go ahead at that point in time, out of the heat of it, and write down what I think is fair, what I want to pay for it. Okay. So you can do that on a notepad. You know, An auction house may give you a card that's got notes on the back of it. If you're in the fray and you win it, the Kirk the Kirk, the clerk will <laughs> Captain Kirk will record it and you own it. Yes. You are responsible to pay for it. You're yeah. responsible for the premium. And as part of coming in and getting your bidding number and understanding the terms of the auction, you need to understand what it takes to remove it. Yeah. What your time is. Uh, what facilities you have to use? If there's specific doors that you need to use, yeah. Whether they supply a dolly, yes, you know,
1: all that kind of stuff. And you can you cannot assume anything.
2: Absolutely, no. You are absolutely on your own. Yes. So make sure you're aware of it. Walk into that auction. If you if you show up with a two door uh, <laughs> Nissan Sentra. Yeah. Don't think you're going to buy a pinball machine. The, yes. That's exactly and, right. Unless, you know, unless you understand that you have 48 hours to remove the piece and then you can get there within 48 hours and do it. Yeah. All right. So that that's kind of the run of the auction. That's kind of what to expect. It's kind of how to deal with it. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward thing. It could sound rather it, it daunting, is. but it's, it's a, the rails on which an auction runs it, it's pretty straightforward and it's a pretty narrow kind of uh, list of requirements you yeah, know?
1: It, it is and, and and i know a lot of this may sound like it's common sense especially if you've been to an auction but at the same point you got to learn this somehow and it, and there's there's uh there's etiquette there's situations that come up and I, I think it's a good refresher you know especially since you since you've just recently been to one yeah
2: yeah it, the the big takeaways are the main takeaway is protect yourself. Yeah. Understand what's going on. Even in the most above board auction with the most straightforward auctioneer, it is easy as a new person to not understand what you're doing. And here is a perfect example that just, that just come to mind. I mentioned, I brought home a hydro thunder. Okay. There was somebody there uh, with his wife there were two Hydro Thunders side by side. They were late in the day. And, you know, he I mean late in the day. Okay. Like on the tail end, I think I think the final thing was sold at around six. The auction started at ten. And this these two Hydro Thunders probably sold at four forty five okay. or five o'clock. All right. Okay. Yep. And he bid for a Hydro Thunder. And when it was all said and done, he was visibly surprised that it was for one Hydro Thunder. There really? was two of them sitting side by side. Really? And okay. Here, here's a good thing if there's multiple items side by side, they'll tell you yeah. and they'll say, you know, you're bidding on one item and yeah. it's choice. Yeah, it's so, choice. So choice means if you've got two or 10 or 50 of the same thing side by side, take your pick. You take your pick, and you can do times. Mm -hmm. So say there's 50 whatever, and you want 10, and the price for one goes what you want. You say, I want these 10. Yeah. You pay 10 times the the, the bid price, 10 times the money, and those 10 are yours. Yeah. And then they'll auction the remaining pieces.
1: Yeah, they will. And then sometimes they'll actually let the second—they'll actually let the second— Per, the, the person who had the second bid they'll offer it up to them at that money and if they don't want it then they'll reopen it right. again yep. you know so there's and, various and ways to do there, it there there is and, and yep. i think the the thing to keep in mind is that there's no there's no set in stone you just have to understand the possibilities mm-hmm. and then just kind of work with just work within however that auctioneer that auction company wants to implement you know how what rules they choose to follow out of the larger set of rules right yeah. So so
2: in this case this gentleman was a nice guy. I mean yeah. we we I'm sure we got to talk a little bit. He was new to it. He was looking for something for the family and that mm-hmm. was a game that, that they enjoyed. And uh it was a, it was a shock to him that it was no. He was only bidding on one piece and his yeah. bid bought him one. one of those two hydro thunders. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, just just it's it's not an adversarial thing per se, but at the end of the day, you have to protect yourself. Yeah, you because d- it's you all do. it's it's everyone for themselves. In these it, situations. it is, and, and
1: I know I said it earlier. There's no friends at an auction. I mean, I say that somewhat in jest, but from the auctioneer's perspective, he 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 will not play favorites when it comes to that. So yeah. it, it is. It's it does turn into every person for themselves when it so comes to that. A
2: couple things, just a uh, additional notes here. Things to bring to your arcade coin up auction. Yeah, bring an extension cord. Yep, everyone that I've ever been to. I've not had anyone say you cannot plug that piece in. I have been to some where the arrangement was such a way that you couldn't get behind the games. Okay. So what I have always experienced is there are uh, folks that are associated with the auction house, the auctioneer, and they will travel behind the equipment in usually groups of 5 to 10 games, like a rolling group of 5 to 10 games or pieces are powered on. Mm -hmm. So you may only have the opportunity to say, I saw it boot. Yeah. You have no idea if if the controls work. You have no idea if you're buying a crane. If the crane works, if it lights up, if it does anything, the auctioneer will generally always say works all the way. Yes, let's go. Yeah, that that person may have not set eyes on that game <laughs> until the moment he rounded the corner, okay. and if a light comes on, it works all the way. Well,
1: and and here, I mean, here's here's just the simple truth of this. Okay, the auctioneer is is not. Uh, uh, unless they unless they solely focus on the type of materials you know the type of items that they 're selling, mm-hmm. generally the auctioneer. Uh, is is an expert at price ranges and worth of an item, or they should be, okay? But they may not know the fine details of the intricacies of, of any given item, okay? Right. So they, they'll... <laughs> yeah.
2: See, I, I, this is... Whitney and I are, are verbally combating in a very nice way because, to me, I'm like, he's... He, I almost look. At, I don't look at that as intentionally deceptive, but it's. Let's just be honest. If if the lamp comes on, it doesn't work. You don't. You don't know it works all the no, way. No, why would you say that?
1: No, you don't. But but at the same point, the auctioneer is there to sell. Yeah, and, and absolutely. He, and, he's, and he's and he is a he is an agent of the seller, not of the buyer. Okay. I, I look at it as.
2: Dead or maybe partially works. Okay, that's so, that's my take on
1: it. So you know uh, the, what a good auctioneer will do, will talk through what he knows of what he knows of the item, and he'll disclose anything that is known about the item as well. But you're right, there are a lot of times where depending upon the. I guess the um,
2: <laughs> the the, the <laughs> see the, the, the state right, the Wendy. state of
1: mind of the auctioneer and, and how he wants to keep things moving. He'll call th- he'll call something a certain way. I yeah. know I know Brent. In my experience, especially doing like estate sales and things like that, you know, there's terms of the auction. There are things that need to be disclosed, and yeah. and you are acting as an agent of the seller, and so um, you you do want to tell what you know. But at the same point, it's also up to the buyer to do their due. Due diligence yes. and if they yeah. want it they assume it okay yes. and you know the old saying always goes uh the auction guarantee it was running when it quit
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well in, in the cases of like your estate auctions i, I don't want to downplay that but yeah. there is a vast difference oh, there between is. a piece of furniture or a piece of land or a piece of land yes. a static something yeah and a machine or a piece of electronics. No, you're, so,
1: you're exactly right. But, but I think, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when it comes to not setting yourself up for failure or just being able to look at it and apply some common sense yeah. and say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm fairly skilled at buying these and the auctioneer says X, but I know better than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to adjust my price accordingly. Okay. It's, again, you, it's, and
2: it you, comes back to you. It comes back
1: right. to you. And that's, and maybe that's a long-winded way of saying that, but that, at the end of the
2: day, that is what it is, yeah. you know? So you're acting as an agent for yourself. He's not. correct. So things to bring along. Bring along an extension cord. Like I yeah. said, I've not been to an auction where, uh, when reasonable, anyone ever frowned upon someone being something being plugged in. Yeah. So if, if you get there during the preview time or you're ahead of the row and you can plug something in a wall and run a 100-foot extension cord over and plug something in and, and play it, do it. Do it. Okay. Yeah,
1: nobody's going to stop you. Yeah.
2: Bring yourself a flashlight. Yeah. If you can you know, get into a coin door, take a look around. I don't take anything apart. I won't open a control panel. I won't take a back door off. No, it's not yours. It's not mine. That's exactly right. I'll plug right. something in, and if the coin door is open or unlocked, I'll coin it and I'll play it. I've even been known to pull a quarter out of my pocket and drop it in if it's something I'm really interested in. I am not taking tool one to anything. Okay. Okay. I do bring tools yeah. because if there's something I buy, especially yeah. like a driver or something, I may need to, need to take it apart.
1: Well, and that's, that's what I've got listed here on, on the next couple of items on this list is a power screwdriver and keys. Okay. Because it's just exactly what you're talking about, Brent. Mm-hmm. If you buy something, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get into the back of that game. And so you may need a screwdriver and what do you want to be doing? Do you want to be hunting a screwdriver and going around and asking people? Hey, can I borrow your tool or, you know, or hey, can I borrow your screwdriver? I don't like to be that guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have the stuff ready and, and, you know, waiting for me to use. Take a take a screwdriver, take a power screwdriver with you, and take a set of common keys. Okay, because if the door if the back door is not held on by screws and it is does actually have a key and you know a lock, but there's no key there, we all know that most arcade games, you know, most locks are one of what, Brent, maybe five different types of
2: keys. I don't know what kind of arcade game you've get gotten. I've got boxes and boxes of keys. Yeah, exactly. See, exactly. I, I in my toolkit I've got a pick set. Yeah. I carry a pick set. Oh, okay, fair and enough. Before Before I move a game, I think we covered this way back on the "Lay a Strap to It" episode way back forever ago. Episode Episode two. Two. I don't like to move a game that I can't get inside to make sure there isn't something loose. (laughs) Yeah, and that a monitor won't fall out. So I really put an effort into getting into a game before I move it. Yeah. Here's a little tip, and I've surprised so many people with this, even in the past six months. Open the coin door and look hanging next to the coin mix. 80% 80% of the time you'll find the key to the back door yeah
1: and it's, at, it's great if, at, you,
2: if you do a lot of times I've taken a flashlight and shined it in the floor of the cab through the coin door and there's the keys there's laying the key in the floor there's the key to the back door yeah exactly okay? yeah. so you know before you go at it with a drill or something or break something or just just take a quick look. Yeah,
1: well, and like I say, and then just have some common keys. I mean, you know, let's say like if you're a big Nintendo guy like me, you're going to have a full set of packaging keys available to you. Now take them with you, man, mm-hmm. because you may need them to get into the coin door, or get into the back door. You never know. So so, yeah. so
2: speaking of kind of like the preview, don't fix anything. Yes. If you look inside a cabinet and the harness is half off, if you look inside. uh A cabinet and a coin door, and say the uh, there's a remote board for the monitor and the the wiring harness. The connector is half off. If there's a coin, oh, it won't coin up or it won't boot because it's got a switch error because the coin switch is stuck. At the end of the day, you don't own it. it's not yours it's not your responsibility yeah you don't want the liability because if someone sees your hand in there and you're screwing around you know sticking a flashlight in there's one thing reaching over and plugging stuff in and out yeah inside that's a completely different story
1: yeah because people could say you broke it when you didn't correct something
2: else could happen in the next hour till they auction it it's like hey i saw bren with his arm in it exactly it's It's on the onus of the seller to deal with their own equipment. Yeah. Okay. And above all, you know, and and tied in with that, this sounds kind of harsh, but it's up to them to sell and prep their own equipment. If you fix their stuff and it's something you're interested in, it's going to go higher. Yeah. If you look at something and you see it come up and you know, okay, well, I noticed this. I noticed that you have a good idea in your mind where you can fix 90% of the stuff you see with it when they boot it to mm. set auction it. Honestly, we're going back to you've got to watch out for yourself. You know, if it's something you're interested in, don't break it. I'm not – don't think I'm advocating mm, that. No, no, no. Just don't fix it. Don't fix it. Yeah. If, if somebody didn't think enough of it to f- – to make sure it was ready to go when they brought it to auction mm-hmm. that's kind of their problem it's their problem yeah. and,
1: and you should benefit accordingly. i mean you should reap accordingly i yeah. guess you yeah. Know? And yeah if
2: anything it might give you an indicator to take that flashlight and shine around a little bit more inside because you might see other things that they didn't think enough of the piece to manage to take care of in a, yeah. in a proper way and you might say oh really it you know this looks great out here, or looks okay out here, but it's a nightmare inside. Let's yeah. just pass. Yeah, exactly,
1: so. exactly. So, so I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good, I guess, kind of uh you know, summary re- recap and in yep. summary, you know, um one of the things that I've that I've always been a little curious to to people watch in this hobby. And you alluded to this as you guys were driving home, I guess, from the auction. Is is how people move the games that they buy? So, so before I get into before I hop up on my soapbox, okay, that will be the rest of this segment. I'm just kind of curious how, how how did how did you and Tony get get all the games all the pieces home that you bought up in Cincinnati?
2: Well, I've got a couple open trailers. So okay, a, uh, twelve just
1: f- utility trailers. Yeah, I have got a
2: 12 yeah. foot uh, wood deck. Fenced utility trailer, like a small lawn service trailer. Okay, and then I've also got a, a or eighteen foot, rather, with the with the ramp dovetail ramp on the back of it, open deck car trailer. Okay, okay, All right. So we took, knowing that Tony was kind of more in the market for the bigger pieces, the the drivers. Mm-hmm. We took that larger car trailer. Okay, now it works, but it's not ideal yeah. because it's literally a flat deck you have nothing on the sides to strap equipment to yeah so if they're upright cabinets what i'll do depending on the number is i'll just lay them on their back side by side or in a row yeah and i'll lash them straight to the deck yeah if they're bigger pieces i'll get the the box if you will like on the driver the head where the monitor is all that yeah i'll get all that kind of centered and all of it pointing against it themselves and i'll lash them all together and then i'll lash the whole thing down yeah by the seats or anything that i can get where i'm not breaking something yeah, and yeah. i'll tie it to the trailer
1: you know the, the thing about it is is that you know when you're moving games like that um you know, open air. You, you have oh, to, then
2: you got the elements, you've got yeah. the
1: elements and you've got so many other items that, that you, that you have to, I guess, either account for or, or contend with. So I, I
2: tend to shrink wrap the games that are on the front because yeah. otherwise you're going to be cleaning the bugs, scraping the bugs off of them. Uh-huh. And I'll also shrink wrap at least the head where the marquee is because it's not uncommon for those just to be whipped out in the wind. Yeah. Just blow out. Yeah. Just, and just disappear yeah, y- forever. You,
1: you're looking in the rearview mirror and it's bouncing down the interstate or something, you know, something Something like that. But no, I I've been kind of curious as to as to how you know how you how, how you've moved your games over the years. I and mean, what, what's the progression been through the hobby for you? What did you start out with versus what you where you're at today?
2: Well, I started out kind of on the upside of where a lot of people start. Okay. I, I know a lot of people will borrow borrow a vehicle. Uh-huh. They'll have a minivan or an SUV that they'll shoehorn a piece into. A game into, yeah. They might have a small truck. Yeah. Um, I was lucky in that my other hobby, the car, you know, we talked about cars on the show and you've got your Corvette and I've got some Pontiacs and that's a hobby I've been into since I was 17. Yeah.
1: Okay. So
2: I've had a long run out to kind of improve my position there. I have a, a large enclosed car trailer. Yeah. Can't use it for games because the inside is, you know, smooth as could be it's nice white leon walls yeah, it's, it, it's it, got cabinets yeah it, it, it's
1: it's made for hauling a car it's
2: made for hauling a car yeah. it's not if i put a game in it it would be, it would trash it yeah it trash it trashed the inside of the trailer in a heartbeat yeah. yeah but i had already upgraded over the years through three generations three sizes of trucks okay so right off the bat i had an, an f-350 with an eight-foot bed okay and the downside of that truck, the way it's set up, is is it's got it's a four wheel drive and it's got a really high bed. yeah, so I can move a nineteen inch game in it pretty easy. I can get it in in with a little help and out by myself, okay. I can stand up several games in the bed, lashing together. I could lay down two nineteen inch cabinets side by side, and then it'd swallow it with no problem. okay. I've got now where anytime I go to get a game, even if it's a single game. I'll throw my 12 foot trailer on the back just so that I don't have to lift the game. You know, I've got 18 inches to get it up and it's a tilt. Yeah. You know? So like I said, I started, uh, in a very good position. For I was very fortunate. I, I could I could bridge the two hobbies with those same pieces of equipment.
1: Oh that that's that's good. I mean, I I didn't start I didn't start out anywhere near that far along. You had a sixty four Volkswagen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I would tie the game to the top two. Yep. Yes, yes.
2: He had a sixty four Volkswagen with a flat roof.
1: <laughs> yeah, after yeah, game number two, it, it became a flat roof. But no, I you know I started out, with a small Toyota four wheel drive, and I was moving you know extended cab. And I was moving a game at a time, and that's all I was doing, open air elements. Uh, you know over time was able to save up some coin and and get you know and get a utility trailer an open air utility trailer much like what you 're talking about and um, and then you know start moving some games uh, on the utility trailer and everything like that and and i've i've since upgraded you know since upgraded the, the truck to a uh, to a Ford you know a Ford f two fifty as well uh, you know, pretty much pretty much identical to your truck I mean ball rights and purposes mm-hmm. just you know so a little bit of a different configuration but ultimately the same. Now, you know, the thing though that I have noticed, uh, Brent, over the years though, uh the hobby is taking a bit of a toll on me, okay, from the perspective of moving games. We're not getting any younger, Whitney. We're not. So when I started, I had absolutely zero issue, okay, with loading a game by myself. Unloading a game by myself, lifting, doing this, doing that, and Brent, I've I've always been blessed with, uh, for you know, good or bad, you know, strong, strong in back, thick in head. Okay, you can call it whatever you want to. Yep. Okay, but I've always, my brother and I both have always been blessed with being fairly hardy individuals when it comes to that. You know,
2: strength yeah, and people everything like else. You make me sick. I'm constantly trying to keep myself together. Whitney could walk out with it with a cheeseburger and bench press a Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm I, like, I just. <laughs> I just always been blessed that way give me a taco and a Volkswagen (laughs) yeah but you know it's it's just always you know I don't know jeans or whatever Call, (laughs) call it what you will but but my brother and I both have just always been pretty strong okay and so I've not really had a problem doing what I wanted to do but over over time though you know I've Found e- I found easier ways to do things that didn't tax me smarter near, not much harder smarter not experience, harder experience buddy so you know w- so like I say when I first started you know with um you know mo- moving games in the back of my Toyota it was it was in a vehicle dude everything bumped around from not being stationary I could you know I could you know l- lash it strap it down whatever it may be but I was always concerned about either damaging the game on load or unload okay because you know s- pushing it in the bed pulling it out of the bed. Whatever it may be. And and then just general safety concerns, even Brenda, around just damaging yourself, you know, because you're deadlifting a game off of its back mm-hmm. or, or uh you're, you know, you're rotating you know, rotating a game in the back of the bed of the truck or moving it on its you know, caster wheels. You're putting yourself in a prone position where you don't maintain center of balance. Well that and you're standing you're standing six foot up in the air. And, or, I'm sorry, four foot up in the air. And, and that's know?
2: why I shifted to even if I was going to get a game, uh-huh, I would that small 12 foot trailer even most of those utility trailers have an expanded metal deck. yeah, if you're looking for those little trailers, don't get expanded metal because a, a video game, a pinball machine, there's enough weight in a small area, especially if you roll up there with dolly wheels, yeah, you will just start deforming that metal. Every which way you can imagine. So, so
1: what I hear you saying is, you know, do do a little bit of due yes. diligence and don't buy. And nothing against trailers at you know at uh, Tractor Supply or Harbor Freight or whatever, yeah. but their their tensile strength is just not yeah. what you'd get if you went out
2: and bought like a Sure Track or something yeah. like it, that. If you're running lawn equipment up on it, yeah. that's it's fine because you've got nice wide tires and all that stuff. If you're hanging weed eaters on it, if you're putting gas cans in it, if you're rolling a dolly on it with 400 pounds of video game yeah and all that weight is focused on those it's, two wheels it's, it's a different story it just sh- it shoves that expanded metal right down through the the i guess the uh What would you call that in the bottom of the trailer, the structure of the trailer? Mm -hmm. And it'll just, it'll just through the running, through the running gear. Right. It'll just deform it. So even this 12 foot trailer, with even with a wooden deck, I can move it real easy. Yeah. Okay. And and to me, after having been on the bottom side of unloading a couple smaller cabinets and having that moment of, oh, geez. Yeah. Is it going to crush me? What I just pull, I just pull the trailer over clip it on and go down the road. Yeah. Even it might take a few more minutes. It's well worth it because I know at the end of the day, I don't have to worry about it crushing you know having the possibility of crushing yeah
1: no no no. I mean I I think you bring up a valid point Uh, I I think I think what you're talking about solves some of the problems but Mm -hmm. we're still left with some problems you know so so how are we fixing them well real quick uh, and I've been doing a lot of research the past couple of months and that's really what I want to talk about what I'm kind of leading up to but you know Brent so right now I've got an open-air trailer utility trailer much like what you're talking about you know weather is an issue, suspension. And road conditions are, are issues because I don't know about you, but I cringe when I go over expansion joints in in the interstate, and I'm hauling games on that tra- on my trailer because they they absorb, you know. They, oh, yeah, they, they absorb what's going on uh, with the road, you know, the prevailing conditions. And I'm not talking about you know jumping potholes or anything. I'm just saying that the games tend to pay somewhat of a price if you move them over any long distance mm-hmm. like that, you know. And I have I have uh, loaded up games that worked when I loaded them and get them home and they don't work after I get them home. And maybe that's receding, maybe that's this, maybe that's that. I don't know. You know, every game's different naturally, but it, it, traveling takes a toll on the games. I'll I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um you know, the wrapping and the transport. I mean, Brent, I mean, how much time do you think you spend on the whole weatherproofing of the games as you, as you go? Because oh, just, I have an
2: answer and I want to hear your answer. Uh, an exorbitant amount of time
1: i know in it if is actually, I,
2: even if i know it's not going to rain like i, I said know. i'll still shrink wrap a game yeah. I, I won't do it if i think it's like i would if if i feel i'm gonna have to deal with weather yeah but you still you still because wrap it because yeah, you're open air you're open and air i'm gonna have uh I, I learned a lesson fortunately it wasn't with a, a game of any consequence it the cabinet rather yeah but i had it above it's sustaining in the back of my truck so it was above the cab line of my truck. Yeah, and I like to never got all the bugs off the side of it. Yeah. I mean they were embedded. Yeah, in Yeah, I it. know. And it's also so, a big
1: windbreak as yes, well. Yes, it is. It is. You know, and you notice that as you're as you're driving. That's the reason why I haul everything on
2: its back. So there's so there is a a, a lot of prep time. They're yeah. Just, I don't even think about it anymore, Well, honestly.
1: you know, th- it, it bothers me because, you know, this, this past year I brought three games to the Louisville Arcade Expo. I hauled them on my trailer, all open air. I had to prep them. The weather wasn't, the weather was okay. It wasn't the best. But, but you know, Brent, I mean, by the time I was all said and done, I mean, I had, I had hours in prep to get to the Expo and then hours in prep to go home. And, uh, you know, yeah, you don't do that every day, but after you acquire enough games and you move them the same way every single time where you have to do all that prep and, and you suffer because of all that prep, you start looking for a different solution to your problem. <laughs> and you become start you but you you know you kind of uh you kind of get willing to pay for a solution to that problem. So so here's the thing. Um it, oh real quick let me ask you do you always transport on their back games on their back or do you transport them upright or do you do a mixture of the both? A
2: mixture of both. Okay if my default is on the back Um, Of course, other than like your big drivers and the like, where I can kind of get them lashed together. Yeah. But yeah, I'll go on their back. And then if I go upright, I have to have enough... Where I've got a tie of like four. Yes, yes. So that I and then I lash them together so they have a big footprint. Yeah. So they don't tip.
1: Well, they don't tip because yeah. uh, they're they're your insurance agent's worst nightmares yes. what they are. Yes. And you don't want to take out a car behind you because a game tipped over. But but here's here's what, what I'm leading up to. And I don't know how many of our listenership have enclosed trailers. I would love to hear from some people if they do. Um I and, and real quick, I do want to give a shout out to Phoebe Smith because I contacted Phoebe and ask her for some input on enclosed trailer configurations because Brent, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to get one of these. Okay, it's, it's, it's a dollar investment. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but you know, I've been doing some, some work on researching the, the configuration of the trailers. You know, whether you go tandem or, uh, you know, whether you go, uh, you know, tandem axle, single axle, whatever that may be, trailer dimensions and and so on down the line. But Brent, I didn't realize how much money this was going to be until I started to get into it, you know, because, you know, I start to think about utility trailers and what yep. they cost. And then when you step up to a enclosed trailer, you're in a completely different league when yes. it comes to money.
2: Well, trailers are one of those things. They're kind of like a van or a truck. Yeah. They will hold a value. Yes. And you're, you would be shocked if you've never shopped for vans and trucks mm mm-hmm. To, to look at a vehicle and you're like how does that still cost so much it's that, because they do <laughs> because they do yeah those are vehicles that that can have many lifetimes uh-huh. as as a personal vehicle as various iteration of work vehicles those are vehicles that more often than not get used to their last bit of life yeah yeah you're, you're, and you're, trailers right. fall into that category they do they, they fall they, they do. There, there's um there's effort to construct them there's material and then on the i feel on the new new market side the value is there Mm -hmm. on the used market side it stays
1: well here's here's one thing that i've i've looked at and you mentioned the material that it takes to build them Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm going to approach this conversation from a we are a hobbyist, deep in deep into the hobby, yeah. and you want a trailer that is friendly to arcade games and pinball machines. Uh, and, and if you're going to go down this this road, you're going to you're going to want to find a trailer, either buy a trailer or find a trailer that has a configuration that matches what we're going to haul inside these trailers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. and, so and I that. went through
2: this very same thing. What the enclosed trailer I have is mm-hmm. 24 foot. Okay. And I went through the same thing of matching it to the the, the purpose. That's exactly and it, right. And it does that purpose well. Yes. And, and so what I have found
1: is that uh, if you buy an enclosed trailer for hauling arcade games or pinball machines and you buy on the secondary or used market, you you may find something that will hold the games, but it won't haul the games in a, in a way that you're satisfied with, okay? Because it's missing some items, or if you have to go and add those items after the fact, it's it's a it's kind of like a bolt on, okay? Yep. It's 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 a modification after the fact, and and it may not be as strong as as it could have been when we start. You know, when if you were to purchase the trailer, you know, order it with a certain configuration, but you know, a lot of people may say, well, Whitney, I hear what you're saying, but the the money on used versus the money on new. Honestly, Brent, it's not that big of a difference because what I have found in my research is when you start looking at a six by 12, you know, uh, let's say a six foot wide trailer uh, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a a 12, a 12 foot foot long trailer Mm -hmm. that is six foot tall Mm -hmm. or a a seven by 12 that's seven foot tall. mean there's not that big of a difference between buying new and buying no. used there's really not i, I mean there may be a thousand dollars difference and and i know that's a thousand dollars but that thousand dollars buys you exactly what you want the way you want it versus buying one that's used that you may have to retrofit it with 600
2: bucks right so okay what i've seen over the years is when you get into that 12 foot range that uh-huh. tends to be the tip point on enclosed for single axle
1: yes and okay. it is the tip point on on single versus tandem that that is the tip
2: point for so you can see 12s that are single or dual that's exactly right more often than not i've seen them that are single that are single and, and typically when you go to 14 they're duels generally uh,
1: generally 14 foot are duels and if you want a 12 foot in a dual axle
2: generally you order
1: it that way right
2: yeah and you're also shorter uh-huh. the short your shorter height the shorter the deck length so yes. you get into an eight or ten foot enclosed those tend to be like motorcycle trailers uh-huh. when you get into that 12 foot you're kind of getting in that crossover like utility cargo trailer range yeah. and you got a six foot ceiling yeah what you've got to remember when you're tipping a game think of i'm looking at my berserk now whitney can see my uh the Ataris are the worst. Whitney can see my uh, <laughs> yes. my pole position or my Asteroids. Yes. Measure the diagonal because you've got to get that game in there and uh-huh. tilt it up. And tilt it up. So at its most, it's going to be the height of its diagonal, its front top to its back Bo- bottom. Bottom rear, yes. Plus a
1: couple inches for the wheels on the dolly. On the dolly. And that's yeah. where that's where a... That's where a five and a half foot game will not fit into a six foot trailer. Yeah. Oh no! And, and, and no. you wonder why, and you're really frustrated yep. why it will not fit. Yep. And that's exactly the reason why. Because yes, it may stand up at a certain height, but when you're transporting it, it's it's actually by the time you add the dolly and everything else, it's actually like eight inches. You yep. need eight inches more room. No, the game didn't grow, but you need eight inches more room to maneuver it off of its off of its diagonal to straight it's up like, it's or like back. How do
2: get it 19 inches out of a square monitor Uh Well, you're measuring the diagonal you're measuring the diagonal exactly
1: and so brent what i have what i what i've come to realize is that uh for hauling an arcade game uh, a bunch of arcade games a six foot tall trailer is the bare minimum you can get away with and and if you're my height you're probably going to wind up bumping your head and cussing your trailer Mm -hmm. you know so um so you know i've I've started looking at you know a a seven foot trailer as is really the workable size you know for for hauling Seven foot these games. tall. Seven foot tall, yes, twelve foot long and they they're they're as wide as they're wide, you know, to to fit on to fit on the highway. But uh but nonetheless, um you know that that's what i've that's what i've found okay in doing my research now you know dual axle is great uh versus single axle from a you know a a weight distribution and a weight carrying perspective they tend to ride better from from the research that i've done Mm -hmm. uh, a dual axle will uh it'll tend to disperse shock a lot better in what's inside the trailer tends to be treated better okay It, it it lives a better life while it's in the trailer in in a dual axle configuration but again you know. you're paying up to get that to get that a lot of people will go single axle and not have a single problem with that Uh, my take on it is you know if you're running single axle and you have a problem with one of the wheels you have a flat or you have an issue you need to be carrying a spare because the trailer then will
2: maroon your truck you know at that point in time yeah i um i have spares for all of my trailers yeah and when i bought my trailers two out of the trailers i've owned the trailers i own now uh-huh i bought the the 12 footer used and the other two new okay and none of them included as part of the initial purchase price spare tires yeah the you uh, the uh, uh two new ones the uh, spare for the enclosed was an option that i could pay for when i from the b- trailer builder mm-hmm. the car trailer the 16 18 foot one it came from a trailer retailer. Yeah. He had multiple brands. He wasn't the builder. Yeah, and he just didn't. That's just nothing. I mean, he didn't have him. Yeah, you know. I, I ended up going to a junkyard and finding uh, get to get a rim of the same bolt pattern. And eventually, as I cycled through upgrading tires over the years, I kept better tires as my spare tires. Yeah, exactly. And then the small trailer i did the same thing i went to a junkyard and got uh an automobile rim it's a these trailers they'll generally have a a, an older ford bolt pattern or an older chevrolet bolt pattern small chevy pattern yeah so you just have to know what you what what you need yeah so you know i I eventually sourced spares but yes if, if i go anywhere i did this one time whitney i moved a couch for a friend of mine here in town i was no more than 20 minutes away from town house the house that's the only time knock on wood that I've ever had a flat on a trailer, yeah, and I didn't have the spare because I was just going twenty minutes away,
1: yeah, I and mean, I had
2: to leave the trailer, yeah, and come back and get a spare. <laughs> I
1: get it, man. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things. So, it, it's it's just something you want to you want to take in, into consideration. Uh, something else that I, I looked at that I didn't initially have a lot of appreciation for was the door setup on the trailer. And Brent, a lot of these when a lot of these trailers when when you're when you're looking at enclosed trailer, the you know the rear door may fold down. It may be. A bifold door uh, may oh, that, ha- That's typical You're talking about
2: uh, when you say bifold, it'll open like a closet. You it opens like a closet. Typically, typically yes. those are called barn doors. Yeah.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yep. And so, so it, it'll it'll have that configuration. It may have a fold down like a ramp door, mm-hmm. uh, where, where the you know the rear of the trailer folds down and, and then creates the ramp. Uh, and then you also want to make sure you have a man door on on the side, just so that you can get out of the trailer yep. when you're you know as you're loading things, or if you need to take other things into the trailer from one side or the other, that you have that. And Brent, not all of that is guaranteed to be you know on on any given trailer i what i found is that you know if you want a specific door set up if you want it a, a little wider of course you'd have to order it that way and it's it's just a toss
2: i, up. I have come across many secondhand smaller box trailers that yeah. i could easily convert uh you know add a few things and make good arcade haulers yeah they've been barn door trailers And I don't want that because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to get a drop down gate type door. That's right. And it'll give me a a ramp type door so I can just, Roll in, the door, roll, or roll in and roll right in out.
4: that's
1: ex- right, that's exactly so. right so yeah so that okay so that whole barn door configuration it may be great for moving furniture something yes. that you could just yep. lift on, onto a lip and go arcade games not so much i mean you need that consistent rolling surface to move you know to to tackle the incline so so that that's just something that's just something that that, that you need to consider and and definitely you know from a side door perspective make sure you've got something that if you had to get a game out you know in, in a pinch that it's it's enough to get enough to fit a person in a game you know through the uh you know through the door at the same time just a couple of other items here Brent just in, in the research that I've done you know interior lighting that's big yep. okay and and anymore today uh, a lot of that lighting is now led based and um and will run off of the you know will run off of the truck itself and so you know just make sure that uh make sure that you do have enough interior lighting because once you start loading games in it creates a lot of shadow pockets for shadows, and it becomes hard to see things. And if you don't have enough light, then you're you're fumbling with a you know fumbling with a flashlight. You're dropping stuff, and you know what? Honestly, if you drop a flashlight, and where's it going to land? Brent, either on a game or on the floor. Mm-hmm. And and if it lands on the floor, you're going
2: to kick it. And it, or that, and that going was one to, of the upgrades I put into my car. Trailer. Yeah, it was additional lighting. Additional
1: lighting. That's Absolutely. exactly right. And, and that's that's huge. And it's something so simple, but uh, it's something that you want to that you want to uh, consider and if if you're ordering a trailer, get extra lights in it. They'll have you know, they'll wire up to the, to your truck and have a, a switch usually up by the man door and you know flip the switch and away you go and you're done. Um Brent, I, this is something I was curious if you have in your car hauler, which is E-track, and uh, for strapping the vehicle to the floor of the trailer so that the vehicle does not move. And for for anybody who's not familiar with what E-track is, it's uh, it's almost like a you can almost think of it as like a miniaturized ladder, okay, that is laid into either the floor or the walls of the trailer, and it gives you a play it gives you a location to hook. Uh, ratchet straps into so that you can Ratchet strap down a load to either the floor of the trailer or mm-hmm. the walls of the trailer, and what it does is it, is it keeps a it keeps the load stationary. For let's say if the trailer were to get sideways on you, or if the trailer you in an accident, or it, as you're just traveling down the road, the load will not shift because it allows you it allows you to secure you know the contents to the interior of the trailer well, itself.
2: You can also get a boatload of e ex- track accessories. Mm-hmm. You can get straps that so as Whitney described. It's like a ladder. There's all these rectangles. Yeah. It's it's a heavy gauge piece of metal, strip of metal with uh, several rectangle with rectangles just punched out of it at at very regular intervals. Yes. And you can get E-Track accessories that clip directly in that are made to go right into those those rectangles. Popped out rectangles.
1: Yeah, for for the sizing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can
2: get straps, you can get bars that go left to right across the space. Uh, I've got several rings where I can clip in a ring and then hook in just just uh, hook in a normal strap or tie yeah. in a rope or yeah. something like that. No, yeah, that's nice. So uh, you know, and I've seen folks that 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 put them like you said on the floor of the trailer, and then there's e track. Um, an e-track accessory that basically webs over your tires. So then you e-track clip those things in, they web over the tire and they've got a ratchet on it that cinches the whole thing down and basically will trap your tire on your car to the floor, yeah, or it, your four wheeler, or your golf cart, or whatever.
1: Exactly, and and then and then it doesn't it, what you have what you have trapped does not move at all. Yeah. And what I've seen on uh, purpose built arcade haulers is where you will have two rows of e track going down the left and right wall of the walls high or sides high and low, high and low exactly of the of the trailer itself. And the reason that that's that's done that way is so that you can accommodate either a pin, okay, sitting you know sitting. Um, on the side of the trailer, without the legs installed, the you know, the head folded over, whatever you could strap a pin to the side of the trailer, whether it's folded over, or whether it is just on its back, or you could strap a arcade game and capture the, capture the game a third of the way up and then two thirds of the way up, you know, or a third of the way from either the top or the bottom of the game, yep. and and you can uh, you can really really uh, rest assured that nothing you know either pin or arcade game is going to move.
2: Well, the thing the thing so about that well, though your question yep. in my in my car trailer in the nose and in, in the nose i define as the 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 personnel door on the side yeah so when you if i were to walk into that right there to your what would be your right all the personnel doors i've ever seen on trailers are on the passenger side yes they are so you'll walk so from from that little stub of wall if you will that goes from that door to the very front of the trailer across the front of the trailer and then that same distance that little wall distance by the door on the other side i've got e-track okay and then above that i've got cabinets yeah Okay. so gotcha. all my all my tie-down straps and, and i've got d-rings in the floor that's how i tie my cars down is d-rings okay gotcha I cr- uh, clamp to the frame and, the d, and then d into a d-ring in the floor so i've got tie-downs that to set the depth of the car depending on what I'm hauling I've got a set of tie downs for the car like if I wanted to put a F body in I'll haul like my Trans Amp. Yeah, I can put any F body in there and have it the Trans Am Camaro that same generation Yeah, and it'll, it'll land at the same spot in the trailer yeah. and that's how I know that type of car tra- travels best in my trailer and I've just got them set up to that length and taped up and then I've got a set that I just use over the back axles to to really cinch it down against the rear d-rings yeah i
1: gotcha so gotcha. and then
2: this e-track in the front is just for equipment coolers yeah. and chairs and tents and just whatever, got, else, needs yeah. whatever else needs to be secure bikes in there whatever else needs to be secured. yeah so.
1: well the, the e-track i mean it's 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 a it's a great accessory and i think it's one that that anyone who's hauling games would want to have in their trailer mm-hmm. otherwise <laughs> i don't see how i don't see how you secure a load really without it but you know the thing to consider though is if you're you know if you're ordering a trailer or you're buying one new, you'll want to order it with the E-track at the time the trailer's manufactured because that's welded in at the at the time of manufacture, and it's it's infinitely stronger than if you go and, and cut the sides of the trailer walls to install E-track at a later point in time. So here, here's the thing with
2: E-track: E-track isn't flat; it's actually got some depth to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe what half an inch? Maybe, yeah, right around that. Yeah, and uh, I'm just I'm just estimating; it's probably like three and a half inches tall. Yeah, with With uh, and it's pressed, so it's it's the uh, the upper and topper. If that made sense, it's like a (laughs) pinball topper. The upper, the uh, up and top. Jeez, I've completely derailed myself. I am off track. Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, top (laughs) and the bottom. The top and the bottom. They actually set a little lower than the main, the face of it. Uh Okay, and that way you've got some space when it's secured to the wall. Uh. Where you can actually clip into it, it's yeah. not flush. Yeah, uh, and uh, we are yet again terribly describing something visual and audio in an audio meeting. Yeah, here.
1: but but I, I think that I think the point's made right. though. Yeah. So yeah.
2: if you add it later, what you end up with is these row, this <laughs> one or two row of this kind of protrusion from the wall, and that will. Right into a cabinet. It will, okay? and the cabinet never sits flush against the wall of no. the trailer so either. So if you're doing it after the fact, you either have to tear the wall down uh-huh. and add it and then put the wall in in the space above and, comp- and below. And, and be- compensate. For the thickness, right? Yes. Or you have to put it on, secure it to the to the wall, secure it to the ribs of the trailer so it's nice and sturdy, yeah. and then you have to put some other filler material in there, strips of wood, strips of one by something that... Actually ends up recessing the e track so the game or, or will rest against. That's it. That's exactly yeah. right, and so that's the
1: reason why if you're going to go down this path, the, one of the most important lessons that I've learned is, you know, is, is study up on the e track and make sure that you make make sure that you uh, account for the height, the number of rows that you want, and you need to specify the configuration of the e track and how you want that to sit flush right. with you know with the trailer wall itself, and e tracks expense. You know, you need to plan on spending somewhere between 12 and $15 a foot, which would cover both sides. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a foot on the left and a foot on the right, or let's say 7 bucks a foot, you know, hung, so to speak, you know, based upon how you, how you want to configure it going down the trailer. But uh, it adds up. E track adds to the cost of the trailer, but there's no substitute for it. You, I mean, you have to have it. Yeah, you have to have some place to tie to. Yeah, so. yeah, you, you really do. Um, the only other thing, Brent, I, I think from you know from a research perspective that I've kind of run into is, you know, from from a rear door perspective, you want to make sure that you know you, that you uh, get a transition plate that as the door folds down, that would take out the you know the dolly falling into the like the little valley. Yeah, between. there's a little
2: gap between the bottom edge of the door. Yeah, uh, imagine if you opened your closet door and you looked where the hinges are. Yeah. Well, now flip that nine. Degrees as if the closet door opened down. Yeah, exactly. you got a gap
1: there. You got a gap yeah. there, and as you roll the dolly over it, the game is going to it's going to jar as it as it makes that transition. So you know, transition plate usually they're made of solid, or I'm sorry, they're made of stainless steel. Um, or I'm sorry, they're made of steel. They're very they're very uh, tough, and they don't really cost a lot. But you want to make sure that you get that added in as well, and then just you know just door locks and, and the the usual. You know, as far as you know, securing the trailer and just making. Sure sure that uh that people can't get into it if the trailer's parked out overnight somewhere or something along those lines
2: so I real quick on that note whitney yeah. with my trailers i i have the plastic covered uh cables uh-huh real heavy grade k you know i used to use chain yeah. all my trailers i'd have chains and i've got a, an entire assortment of locks you know get yourself a nice set of locks that are all key to like, and i will if i'm having to leave the trailer out like at a fairground or something i'll run a chain through the wheels and lo- somebody with a bolt cutter can can do that but yeah but you're some,
1: you're fending off the other 90 percent,
2: right if there's somebody there that's looking for a theft of opportunity and the mm-hmm. guy next to me has a trailer sitting there and the tongue isn't locked he's taking that dude's trailer yeah exactly you know he's not taking my trailer where he's going to make a lot of noise and cut chains and do all that mm-hmm. i have since moved up to that plastic encased heavy gauge braided steel cable okay okay and what i'll do is i I've, i'll Uh, several of those they're actually relatively inexpensive if you go to Harbor Freight and get them Mm -hmm. one of our favorite places Mm -hmm. I've looked at them at higher end cables like at a at a bigger box store at a hardware store I think that's truly one of the things that come off the same assembly line and they put the uh, just a different label on it I believe it I will take one of those cables. I make sure you've got a good tongue lock. Tongue lock. I like a night one of the tongue locks that actually have a ball that goes up into the the receiver, the, the the receiver itself. Mm-hmm. Lock it down. Lock it. I'll put a lock through the tongue, the release on the tongue. I'll take that cable. I'll put it through the wheel. If it's a single my small trailer, it's single axle. I'll put it through the wheel in the fence of the trailer. Basically, so the wheel won't turn. Yeah. If it's a tandem, I'll put it through two wheels and lock it, and I'll make it set out there in a place that's very noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just... And chances are, your trailer will be there the next yes, day. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know how many friends of mine just this past year have have put lost or stolen trailer pictures on my Facebook feed where them or friends of theirs have had a trailer stolen just because... You know, just because it was there, yeah people, yeah, people aren't nice all the time. Let's no, just be no, honest, no, you know. They're not. They're so, not. yeah, don't get get a good set of locks. Yeah. It's it's cheap insurance. Yeah, I, I would I would agree
1: with yep. that. And the only other item, uh, and, and Brent, I had to do some research on this because my truck did not have a brake controller installed in it. Um, you can get on. So, uh,
2: what's a brake controller? Okay, as you get into larger trailers, and yep. I don't know what you found the tip over point to be. I think it's around that twelve foot mark where they may or may not have electric brakes Mm -hmm. so this is an assisted brake and you need something to control that when you when you hit the brake on your truck this uh, brake controller will sense that and then start to activate and ramp up how much brake is applied to the electric brakes on the trailer yeah. to assist you. Okay, yeah. so you had to do some research. No, on
1: No, I did. I had to do some research on it because you can buy proportional brake controllers, which will modulate the brake application relative to the speed of the vehicle mm-hmm. and and to the speed as to which it is slowing down. Yep. So that the trailer uh, so that the trailer brakes at the same rate that the vehicle is braking, mm-hmm. uh, or you can buy. Or you can buy uh, what I would consider a cheaper solutions, which just pulse the brakes, and it's a much cruder, I guess, or a much more ele- you know elementary way yeah, to stop the tra- to stop the trailer. It's stopping it in bunches, and yes, the trailer's slowing down, but it's not doing it in as a in a systematic way with the vehicle itself. Right. Is, yeah. if
2: that, is that the type, Whitney? Where you've got two settings? You've got how much my maximum uh, current current applied is and you've got i don't know if it's current or if it's voltage R- regardless you got a max it's, i believe it's voltage okay. if i'm not i, th- it if if I'm not okay. I think it may be i okay it is so you've got a max that will be applied uh-huh. and you've got a ramp rate how fast will i get to that max exactly yeah okay so that's that's and that's the type i've always used yeah that's uh, it really, I probably need to re- research and see what what's the current market is. But anyway, so yeah. what did you end up with? With so
1: me? so, I went with a proportional brake controller, and I ordered it from. Uh, see, Eat- that's that's
2: newfangled stuff. It, it, you you it, kids it, and your newfangled music. I, I know, man. <laughs> Get that, off my lawn. <laughs> when, when I when I was doing this stuff, they didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. But you know something? Proportional
1: brake controllers can can go anywhere now, from seventy bucks to yeah. roughly one hundred and fifty bucks. So you've
2: got an accelerometer in there, and it, it does. See that it stuff. Does. When I started messing with with trailers that had brakes, you had the the second type you mentioned, uh-huh. which is a max current or yeah. a, a, a max something, yeah. max voltage, and a ramp. How fast do I get there? Yeah. So as soon as you hit the brake, it starts applying it until yeah. it, up through that rate till it gets to the max. Or you had a second type that literally. Plumbed into your uh, master cylinder, yeah, the, the hydraulic system. Hydraulic, yeah, right, and, and that's how I and, don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> and then it used the pressure of the hydraulic system of the truck to determine how much brake. To apply to the trailer, yeah and, yeah, and I think the proportional controllers that are
1: uh, that are electric based today are probably the best of all worlds mm-hmm. because if you can imagine, if you if you're hauling, you've got six games in your trailer, and for whatever reason, someone you know you you pop across the top of a hill and you have to lock the brakes yep. up on your truck, the controller will respond, respond in yep. kind, it, and so the trailer will mimic the braking action of your truck, and, and you're and only like
2: seventy bucks into that. 15 years ago that's what my my controller for for a proportional
1: one now that's a proportional one that is that is
2: largely no frills okay still
1: though that's that's light years ahead of what I use but it does the job yeah you know
2: it's light years ahead of what I use and
1: and Brent you know I,
2: I, I have I have I know we name drop a lot have, on this show. I have brake <laughs> electric, tra- electric break control, electric brake control. the Go out to your trailer; they'll take care of you. I'm sorry. I'm not. No. I'm no longer paying to, uh, paying attention to the show. I'm on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that I know we name drop a lot on this show,
1: and we do it. And we don't do it intentionally, but yep. we want to do it to inform people. And Brent, I'll tell you this much. Over the past month, I have read the internet from one side to the other there, on, on, on brake controllers. Yep. And I'm telling you, dude, the best place to buy a brake controller on the internet is from eTrailer.com. And because th- this
2: this site, you may not know this, this site has been around a long time. Will? Because I have bought a lot of equipment yep. for trailers, drawbars, uh, hitches. I have bought it from eTrailer.
1: And, and I'm telling you, I didn't know that because yep. I just started doing this research, like I say, over the past 60 days or so. And everything that I would every every term that I took would lead me back to eTrailer.com. Yep. And you know, for good or bad, they're they're the gold standard for buying
2: trailer and trailer related and, accessories. And, and e trailer, that sounds like they jumped on that e-revolution. Yeah, or that well, iRevolution. Yeah, they did and, it long ago. Uh, so seriously. They
1: get a pass. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They, they have been around a long time yeah and i had forgotten about them because i haven't had to buy any equipment in a long time but i have bought i don't know how many balls draw bars uh hitches yeah. um uh, trailer parts i I, I I I just can't think of how much stuff I've bought from these folks. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I'll, I'll continue to buy because you know once I get to the point where you know I'm I'm committed to doing this to doing this project, I can see where they're going to be uh, you know they're, they're going to be a very handy resource to you know to draw from. But anyway, Brent, so that that's what I wanted to that's what so, I wanted to talk through. I mean, it's it's a it's a great discussion topic. It, it may not be directly arcade related, but I'm telling you, if you're in this hobby
2: for any length of time, it's arcade. It's, it's arcade related. So yeah. let, let me let me throw out two things real quick. Okay, uh, on any trailer wiring. Yeah. Okay, and this is
1: something that, that oh, there's something that I didn't mention. Okay. I need to go back up to the top because I want to talk about gross vehicle weight. Oh, okay. okay, yeah, well, real quick. Yeah.
2: Wiring. We're we're now in a in a world where it sounds like I, it's like I'm doing a trailer for a movie. <laughs> we're now in a world where in a world where in a world where you want to tow a trailer and get a pinball machine. <laughs> we're in we're in a place now where. Uh, you don't have to do like I have had to do on older vehicles, which is all right, I need to find out which one of these wires is the right signal, the yeah. left signal, yeah, anymore it's for, fairly, fairly standard uh, well for now. any vehicle that I can think of now going back several decades. If you've got a truck or an SUV, yeah. nine times out of 10, you've got a factory pigtail under there. Yep. You go to like an eTrailer.com and you say, I've got a such and such vehicle and a such and such here, and they'll give you the other side of it to give you the plug for the trailer.
1: That's how That's how right. they were for mine. For mine, I just punched in what truck I have and then Even the controller vans. I wanted. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's all there. And then what's nice is they prepackage all of that. So when you buy the controller, you get the harness
2: too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of vehicles as well, if they don't have that factory harness, you can get a what, what's just generically called a t-connector and you say i've got a such and such year such and such make such and such model trucker or van or whatever yeah uh, and they'll have uh, a, an adapter that will t right into the factory harness at some point you unplug it plug these in and now you've got the the connector that you need to plug in to your standard trailer yeah it's
1: awesome and then life goes on i mean it's as simple as it should be
2: and that goes with that goes for any trailer type so real quick on an enclosed trailer i'll throw this out there look at the roof type generally you've got two types of roof you got a flat type and then you've got like a cap And flat is just that. The trailer walls come up, and then there's a flat sheet of metal rolled out on the top of the trailer, and then the joint is sealed with some kind of compound. Yeah. Okay? Generally, you'll run into that in the larger trailers. You're, You're talking... 18 20 foot and up okay, okay? if those type of tra- trailers that type of roof you have to be aware that you need to manage that compound so about every five or six years you've got to scrape that off and you've got to reseal it mm-hmm. when you get into the smaller trailers you that you've got generally a molded plastic cap, so the roof comes over the edges of the trailer, yeah. or you've got metal that's actually shaped over you don't you're not flat yeah, and you don't have that flat surface to worry about a seal, and you don't have that maintenance of anish issu- maintenance issue. I have seen on on some lower end or some older, shorter, smaller enclosed trailers where they'll go with a flat roof. And it, you, you just need to be aware of it because if you don't maintain it, it's going to leak on you.
1: Yeah, in in that that plastic joint that you're talking about is you generally see that on trailers that that, that have a that that have a rolled front or a flat front mm-hmm. to the trailer. Uh, there are other there are other enclosed trailers that you can get that the front actually comes to a point. Yeah, Venus. Yeah, dude, thank you. Yeah, it comes to that point. They tend to be from my research, they tend to be the, the current favored configuration due to either aerodynamics and then essentially lack of maintenance of the roof of the trailer itself. So it's something to consider and it gives you some storage space at the very front of the trailer as well. So, so you want to talk about gross vehicle weight? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on this real quick and I'm not going to use this as a, as a diatribe to get into this uh, topic, but it's something that you want to make, make sure that you're aware of is you need to understand, uh, and just do a little bit of research on what the gross vehicle weight rating is for your vehicle as far as how much it can tow safely uh and then there is we've got a link from uh howstuffworks.com and and brent i don't know if you listen to the howstuffworks.com podcast i've been listening to that for years and years and years and i love it uh but they uh, i'll include a link to this but uh they have a a website it's called auto.howstuffworks.com and they have a breakdown of how the weight ratings on vehicles. Work, they talk about uh, you know tongue weight and things like that. All these topics that you need to be aware of when you're hauling, you know, when you're towing a trailer. And then uh, if you want to know how heavy of a trailer you can you can tow based upon a given vehicle configuration, there's another website called ChangingGears.com which has an online calculator that will tell you based upon your particular vehicle. You punch in all the data that's on the the gross, the the, the uh, gross vehicle weight rating sticker that's either on the cab uh, or like inside door, usually the, what I think the driver's side door mm-hmm. yep. on vehicles, Generally, you, yep. you can punch all that information in this calculator and it will essentially tell you what's left over as far as how much, you can, uh, how much you can safely tow. Okay. And those are two websites that I found that have been really good in my research to help me understand what are the upper limits of what my truck can do.
2: Okay. If, you, if you're picking up a trailer for the first time, it's also a good tip take it somewhere like a, a shopping mall on a late sunday afternoon or the far reaches of a parking lot at a shopping mall mm-hmm. on a saturday yeah and spend some time with it yeah understand like, understand like turning with yes it. understand what, what you've got in terms of a turning uh a di- diameter yeah because now you've got this lever off the back of the your truck yeah. or your vehicle that may if you turn too tight impact your bumper yes spend yeah. some time learning to back it up and yeah. you will get frustrated the shorter the trailer the quicker it is to get to jackknife on it, it responds faster it responds faster the closer it, that axle is to the to the uh, trailer hitch
1: yeah you're right and you know a single axle trailer and a dual axle trailer are going to turn are going to back up differently and turn differently as well yeah. and you know uh, i mean my experience has been working with my utility trailer is that you know they they, they turn incredibly quick and you, until you get used to it, you wind up being somewhat frustrated by it, you know, and it's just something you have to kind of, uh, I guess just, it, it's a skill you have to develop and there's just really no other way of saying it. So anyway, Brent, I, you know, it, as 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 I've progressed through the arcade hobby as I have number one uh wrapped spent a lot of hours wrapping games and cutting games open and hauling them on their back and through the rain and through the snow and trashing a crazy climber you remember when I talked oh, about yes. that at the very you know at the very onset of the show I'll even bring that back up so what I've done is I have I've, I, to date, knock on wood, I've not thrown my back out yet, but I've I've tweaked it once or twice, and I've done all kinds of deadlifts and, and you know and everything like that. Um, you know, I've, I've spent hours wrapping games and you know whatever it may be, hauling through the hauling through the worst of weather conditions. I want a better life. <laughs> I, want I want you.
2: To, I want you to have a better life.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I've I've spent some time doing research on enclosed trailers, and you know it's it's a it's a topic I'm you know I'm I'm interested enough in Very that passionate I, that I that I am passionate enough about just like ratchet straps that from episode two that I just wanted to take the time to talk about it and just compile my notes and, and share what I've learned you know with with a, with the a listenership, and if anybody out there has has gone through. This process and has bought an enclosed trailer. I want to hear from you. You know, write in, post something. You know, on the Facebook page or whatever, because uh, you know it, it'd be interesting to know what other people have done and and whether this you know uh, whether this advice hits the mark. I, I, I think it should help people out there.
2: Well, uh, uh, trailers, kind of like auctions, can be a daunting thing. You know, that's I, that's what a, I
1: have found. I didn't realize how many hours I was going to sink into
2: this topic. There are so many options. There's so many types. Yes. There's, And I've been through this, Whitney. I went through this on the car side. And even with that trailer, I, was, I think I was smart enough to... To know what I didn't know. Yeah. And I, I went back later and put the cabinets in. Yeah. And it would have saved me some effort because I didn't have to haul it all the way up to the builder. I wasn't 100% sure how I was going to use it. And I didn't have any frames of reference. Yeah. And I was making that leap. I'd like to make that leap on the arcade side. I've looked at some trailers, but I just haven't had the opportunity... Fortunately for me I've got that homework under my belt. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I could what I how to use it and what I what I'd want to do with it. Yeah. I just I haven't had the time to put into shop it. Yeah, see in, in me, know. I just started from ground zero.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just like I need a trailer, you know, and then then you just begin from hey, there. Hey, the next time we do a sh- we do a a panel at a game show, we'll yeah. do trailer selection. Do trailer selection. <laughs> oh, riveting, Brent. Riveting. <laughs> we'll have to do it in NPR style. You know, be like... <clears throat> Hey, Brent, guess what? Uh, uh, Whitney, I'm not sure what, Whitney. Brent, I bought a trailer today. Oh, that's fantastic, Whitney. Brent, it's a beautiful trailer. Is it? It's awesome. I uh, love it. That's outstanding, Whitney. I would even say it's amazing. Is it amazing? It's amazing. Yes. I, I, I Brent, me and my trailer, we've become one. It's an arcade hauling
2: trifecta. I, I'm so, of of win. I'm so happy for you, Whitney. Yeah. I'm and, sure you can hear it in my voice. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, Brent, that's enough
1: NPR for one episode.
2: Yes. Well, Whitney, that is all that I think anyone could ever have wanted to know about trailers.
1: Hey, man, we gave them their money's worth, and we did NPR at the very end. (laughs) I, I,
2: I know that for me... I'm happy as a lark, man. So, earlier we did console stuff. Yeah. And then we also, in the trailer discussion, we covered car trailers. Yeah. So, anything and everything you ever <laughs> wanted to know about trailers, I think maybe we've covered in this last little segment. exactly On a arcade and pinball podcast. Let's throw this out here too, Whitney. If you're looking at a trailer, I don't care if you're looking for a little 8-foot trailer or 14-foot enclosed, or if you're going to step into that... I say like a 14 foot enclosed because chances are if you're going to jump right into a 20 some odd foot trailer, yeah. you have probably already got some experience under your belt. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, I'd hope. Yes, I'd, I'd, I, hope.
1: I'd, I hope. Otherwise,
2: you're going to wind up with
1: it sitting on its side on the side of the if road. You, yes. If you're out there looking for
2: a trailer and you got questions, email Whitney or I. Whitney, yeah, I'd love to talk about this Whitney stuff. Whitney at Hit us on the Facebook page. Tweet us. Whatever. We'll help you out. Yeah. yeah we will. We are more We've than... We've done some research Yes. Now. Yes. I, I've... I've got some years under my belt. Whitney's got some years and some contemporary research under his belt. I've just learned some stuff. I'm going to go replay, upgrade my brake controller. You should, dude, because it's 70 bucks, and you're going to yes. get a much better a much better uh, experience. experience out yeah. of your truck. Mine works, and I've gotten used to it, but I think I'm going to be shocked at what's available now. Yeah. With- accelerometers and brake control. Well,
1: dude, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send, I'll send you a link to what I'm going to buy. Okay. And then I'll, I'll even put it in the show notes for, for the episode so that everybody else can see what, what my research has told me is the Mac
2: daddy brake controller to get. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. Cause yeah. back in the day, the Mac daddy was high end and you had to get into the, your brake line plumbing. So nah, none cool. of this. All, All right. Of this. We got the trailer stuff. As Whitney mentioned earlier, we're going to change up the show just a little bit here. Sure. We're actually going to end the show this month with the LAX session, Louisville Arcade Expo session of Billy Mitchell and the Perfect packed Man. Yes. So we'll hit on that here in a second. Yeah. Whitney, let's talk a little bit about some feedback. What What have folks had to say? So, about so, it? so here, here's hopefully the thing. it's good.
1: Oh yeah, it's all it's 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 all it's all being <laughs> at good. least the ones that you put here in the exactly. And and Brent, I, I'll say this: I didn't really have a tremendous amount of time to go scrape some feedback, so I pulled I pulled, uh, I pulled uh, a couple um, a couple messages off of uh, off of Twitter and stuff and responded to them we've Uh, had a lot of of
2: interaction on facebook yeah a lot of interaction on facebook mr brian c has been (laughs) man he's been right there with us the past Uh, couple uh, weeks
1: uh, god love that guy he is he is he is in on it man he is on top of his game so it's it's been great Facebook has been rolling uh, that's that's been on it's way but uh, there's something that I wanted to call out uh, is an email that we received Brent uh, Lee from Pinball Supernova and uh, Lee writes in and he says Whitney I listened to your, to your last podcast great job as always I heard the segment about the AliExpress and ordering from their site I just built a VU meter mod for my ACDC and Metallica pinball machines and that's that's essentially a you know a, a voltage display and for you know for um for showing intensity, okay, yeah. you, know, mm-hmm. as, you know, for for the gameplay, and he says I ordered the parts through AliExpress and saved some cash over Amazon since the fees are cheaper uh, on on AliExpress or AliExpress. I ordered the meters from, and he and he gives me the link, and I'll I'll include it in the show notes. And he says I've written up a blog post and the website in uh, a website link where I use them are located here. He's got a couple links to his uh, to his website pinballsupernova.wordpress.com and uh, pinball supernova com and he even includes a YouTube video of the install and Brent I went out and looked at this and, and it's awesome I mean he he has made what is essentially an interactive meter okay that registers uh, intensity of gameplay okay at certain parts of the play field and like on ACDC you almost get to feel like it's like it's a voltage meter or something along those lines okay oh that's, or, this is this is really cool yeah, I'm looking at are it are you looking at it yeah. dude it is, it is so sweet dude I am and, so mad and
2: Lee has knocked this out of the park I'm so mad that I didn't think of this it,
1: it's it's <laughs> it's brilliant I'll just say it's brilliant and so we'll include the links for this and you know something what what I'm going to do is after we record this I'm going to grab the YouTube video and I'm going to put it on our Facebook page and it, I think people need to see this it's, it's, it's so cool and so uh, so he he writes he goes on to write he says keep up the great work you know I'll post all your podcasts when I know they're available if you don't mind send me an email as a reminder I'll make sure that I continue to do that uh, you know, great job again. Th- thanks again, uh, Lee. And so, Lee, we just want to say, man, we love your site. We love what you're doing for the hobby. We'll continue to support you as well because you're you're definitely part of the solution and and uh, you know a good force a good force in the hobby. <laughs> we're,
2: we're, we're, we're part of the problem, Lee. <laughs>
1: and we would be part of the problem. Yes, because if you're not part of the solution, Brent, you're part of the problem. You know, but no, Lee, thanks for taking the time. So that that's that's great. Now, I think that's probably outside of what's going on with Facebook and, and Twitter. Brent, that's you know a, a great email that I received in the inbox, you know, over the past couple of weeks, and I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to to bring that to you know bring that to mention. Yeah,
2: so. Lee's got a great site. That is, oh yeah, he does a kind of the seminal site for pinball news. I, if, if yeah. you it, you can try to catch it from all your Facebook feeds, but it, you know. Li- you can go to Lee's site, and there it is.
1: There it is. I mean, I would say between, if if you watch his site and then uh, just Pinball News, between those two, you're getting everything there is to know about pinball. Yeah. So Lee uh, Lee works very hard at his site, and it
2: shows. I'm gonna so to, it's I'm going to have stuff. to work on one of these meters. I'm yeah. going to have to find something it's awesome. for it. It's yeah. awesome, isn't it? It, yeah, is. it is.
1: It is. So with that, Brent, before we roll into the, to the LAX
2: seminar, well, let's go ahead and tell everybody what they're going to hear in the seminar, and then we'll oh, okay, drop sure. that. And then we'll roll right into it, so everybody could listen to, sure. to Billy. That,
1: that sounds good. So this this seminar uh, was recorded at uh, this this year's Louisville Arcade Expo, the 2016 Louisville Arcade Expo. This is Walter Day and Billy Mitchell uh, presenting on uh, a topic called "Playing the Perfect Pac Man," and Walter talks through the the historical I guess the historical significance of of when Billy Mitchell first first demonstrated uh, playing a perfect Pac Man he talks about you know how that that how that event kind of changed uh, you know esports and gaming uh, you know from from that point going forward and then Billy talks about how uh, he his work with Namco Nintendo over the years and him demonstrating that games can have an end and can have bugs in them and here's what happens when players that are good enough can push the code past their intended limits at that point things like a perfect pac-man and a kill screen on donkey kong were simply unheard of brent because even the developers of the games didn't know that they had that they had termination points or that bugs would exhibit themselves in that way and so billy takes the audience through the entire process from start to finish all the boards that it takes to play through a perfect game of Pac-Man and what happens at the end. Now, he doesn't play every single board. He goes through a process called rack advancing the game. And, and Brian honestly, I'd never heard of what uh, rack advancing I mean, I was. was. Did I you know, know what it was? I
2: knew that some midway games, some of the MCR games like Tron, uh-huh. you can if you got access to the board, it's in the manual, you can I'm pretty sure Tron's one, you can advance the racks and get to specific levels if you want to play them i had no idea that that you could do that with pack
1: I, I didn't either and and when billy uh, and of course yeah, you know I, you and i were in the room you know helping helping with the you know the proceeds of the, of the seminar but when billy turned around us and asked us he said okay go go around back and rack advance the game i'm like dude i didn't i had no idea what you were <laughs> talking about and the interesting thing about it is i went over to you you're like i have no idea and then i went over to like nine other people and they're like i don't i have i've never heard of this until until
2: now at, at one point in time myself you uh-huh. and jeremy flights uh uh-huh. thir- we're all it people and we're looking on our phones we're all and huddled nothing. in a corner yeah just googling away and yeah. flicking away on the displays trying to find out trying to find out how trying to do, to this. How to do yeah. this
1: and as it turned out not a single person in that room knew how to rack advance a pac-man machine and i'm telling you brent there were how many people were in that room that night a couple hundred there were 200 people in that room and not a single person knew but how to Bi- do this but billy,
2: billy did billy did Billy did it in an all white three-piece suit
1: yes he did <laughs> yes he did and i'll even go so far as to say is his hair did not move as he was uh, you know doing it doing it bending down to get into the game right back out i was holding the flashlight while he was doing that i was looking at his hair going his hair is
2: beautiful. Hair is perfect. His hair is perfect listening <laughs> in the flat, light of
1: a flashlight. <laughs> but it was it was great, and so I think you guys are going to be in for a treat. You know, listening to Billy talk about it, you know the whole trailing to Japan, working with Namco and, and Nintendo and everything, and what it takes to play a perfect game of Pac Man
2: okay so let's drop into that and before we do
1: where yeah. can we be found well we are proud members of rob o'hara's throwback network and and brent we're uh we're members of uh what i would consider a very elite group of podcasters and uh rob handpicks that content and uh and disseminates it and pushes it through uh the most excellent throwback network so we can be found at uh on the throwback network uh dot net also on itunes we'd ask that you please leave a review and rate the podcast. It does help us in search results uh stitcher radio and xbox music as well and we're also now on google play in the physical world
2: don't forget you can meet us at southern fried game room expo exactly the places that matter yes coming up here uh, very very soon here in june in down in atlanta georgia uh cover that at the beginning of the show make sure you t- check out southern fried game room dot com mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a wealth of information there and several uh pictures of whitney and i doing something
1: i just uh, outrageous, uh, general sure. general yeah. tomfoolery yeah, is yeah. what i'll call it how about uh, social media brent where can they find us there
2: facebook uh, facebook.com slash broken token twitter at broken token and of course the website www.brokentoken.com yeah and then we'll go ahead and say uh, we
1: hope everybody has enjoyed the show it's a little bit of a different format this month but it was it was a lot of fun talk and brent we even got to do npr so that you know that makes it all all worthwhile i'm not sure that was the highlight but okay (laughs) hey it was it was all good but no we hope everybody enjoys this uh, session from the louisville arcade expo and we'll just say uh keep your quarters clean and game on
5: Twin Galaxies was first created in 1982. Uh, we had a world score, a world level score down in our gate Twin Galaxies in Tumbo, Iowa. And when we tried to find out if it was the highest score ever, we found out that none of the manufacturers And none of the magazines were keeping track of the records, no one knew what the world records were. So we volunteered at that time to be the official storekeepers, and everybody said yes, believe it or not. So suddenly Twin Galaxies found itself to be in that position of being essentially the world's most famous arcade. Because everybody's attention was directed on our... Uh, responsibilities of keeping track of the scores and creating the rules and crowning the champions and organizing contests, so it became quite an interesting experience, but the most interesting thing to me that happened at that very beginning, when we essentially organized, this was the beginning of esports, the beginning of organized competitive video game play, and we innocently blundered into two major phenomena, one was that all over the world essentially, in arcades, everywhere, people were going for the world record on Defender, and people were going for the world record on Pac Man, and it was like a war. The score could change on a daily basis. Uh, I remember one time, uh, I think the Defender score changed three times in a single day because there were so many arcades around the world playing Defender, trying to be the world record holder and beating all the other records in the scores that we were posting and publishing through the magazines and on our scoreboard that people would call into our arcade in Tomball, Island. and. Uh, and Pac Man. Pac Man was the biggest deal. It was simply amazing that people all around the world were trying to be the best on Pac Man. And as time went on, even the Defender, we learned later on, was making more money than Pac Man in, in each equipment program like Replay and Playmate magazine what we discovered was that, of course, Pac-Man was beyond big, so that was amazing. And uh, a few people surfaced who really excelled at Pac-Man, who actually dominated it, and then turned it into a, a major phenomenon, which eventually led the building in history's first perfect Pac-Man score, which is 3,333,360 points. You can't get one single point further because you harvest, in a and collect every impossible point you get the course of the game. But anyway, this big war was happening and it was interesting because every single day someplace there would be a news story of someone breaking a Defender World record or a Pac-Man World record. It was quite remarkable and it really put organized competitive video game playing on the map at this early time in video game and calling up and arcade history. So it was a very interesting phenomenon. But very very few of those Pac Man players went on to truly understand the game. So that by the time that Billy and a small handful of other players unraveled the mystery of Pac Man and figured out what a perfect score would be, only about three or four people within the whole world understood what the score would be and how to get there. So I'm going to pass the microphone to Billy and he's going to start talking and talking. <laughs> and talking. <laughs>
4: like Walter said this is the first time we're doing this so we'll find out how to do it right and I'll try to be quick I'll try not to drag out my conversations but the truth of the matter is as those scores began to come in on Pac-Man we began to question whether or not they were authentic and me and one other guy Chris Ira, a lifelong best friend began to dissect in the machine what it is you had to do in order to get a perfect score, which we're going to show you. And the fact of the matter is, it was a certain calculation up to the last board, and it was executing the last board in a specific manner that calculated the points. We learned what it was in 1983, and we never told anyone what it was except Walter. He was the only one who knew, and throughout the 80s and in the 90s, he'd get a phone call from somebody who said, well, I've done it 20 times he put him on the phone with me, I'd hit him with a half a dozen questions, and I'd knock him out, I mean, they just, you don't get a score without knowing it. I used to just say, you know, we're gonna blow him out of the water. Well, in 1998, a call came, 99, a call came to Walter, from a guy in Canada, who said, or him and his friends, who said they could A, B, and C a perfect game. So I said to Chris, I said, Chris, we gotta have a conference call, some guys from Canada, I said, we, just, we gotta get rid of these guys, he said, okay. So we had the conference call, and I fired a half a dozen questions at him that nobody in the world knew the answer to. And he fired back a half a dozen answers exactly as I would have answered them. And I said, okay, they're for real. And the fear was, after all these years of sitting on our hands, knowing what to do for a perfect game and never doing it, someone was now going to beat us as a punch. And it was a guy from Canada. <laughs> so. He's actually a personal friend today, so I'll pick on him, but remember that. He actually wore a Canadian flag, a cape. He called himself Captain Canada. You can Google Captain Canada on your phone, and you'll see a picture of He's like this. And, uh, but he's a nice guy. Well, I wasn't going to be that goofy and wearing a tie, that's as far as I was going to go. But then came the big race for a perfect Pac Man. Uh, there at Funspot, he essentially, before me, played before me. He got all the way up to the perfect score, but he had died one time. And again, what nobody knows is because you die once, it cheats you out of 90 points. So he came within 90 points of getting a perfect score before me. Then I played. I arrived on July 1st, which is Canada Day. I played July 2nd, which I didn't get the score. And on July 3rd, because I had vowed to get it before the 4th of July, I got the perfect score, that's that famous picture. And because that was a quiet weekend, because there was nothing in the news, no bad news, no terrorism, nothing. That went on the AP wire and it ran around the world. I did interviews from places I never thought I could. I actually. We had a family cruise and I was on a cruise ship and they found me. They found me in Mexico and they I uh, just kept doing interviews and I thought, gee, that call's gonna come from Namco, and sure enough that call did. Without a doubt, that is the highest point when Namco brought me to Japan, they had me on stage, and for all the accomplishments through the eighties they crowned me video game player of the century. But again, of this say half a dozen of us who are on the top of the Pac-Man world, there's two of us that are above even the others. So that's the one time I'll give credit to my Canadian friend. But uh, he is the one person that, without my help, he could have executed a perfect game the same as I did. And so the fact of the matter is, what I'm going to do is, Walter will come up, he'll tell you some of the stories and some of the things that happened as he we went through, and I'll begin to demonstrate a few things, and then I'll keep taking the mic back as we do things. When you execute things, it's kind of like golf, it's like a lot of things. It comes down to Precision timing. They say to blink your eyes takes between three and four hundred milliseconds. When you execute a corner on Pac-Man, you have to do it 21 times faster than that. It's one sixtieth of a second. Executing a corner and Rip calculated for me that doing a perfect score, I had to execute 29,000 perfect corners in a row, down to one sixtieth of a second. So with that in mind, someone will say, Oh, I can do it, just show me the pattern. And I, I love those guys. I mean we've all seen Tiger Woods play golf, and nobody plays golf like he does. Okay, you're gonna see me do it here, and then I'd like to see any one of you do it. I just love the wise guys. I love the guys who come up and say, Oh, you think you know more about the game than the guy who made it? Yeah, when I was in Japan, you told me exactly that.
3: <laughs>
4: when we were in Chicago and we had a panel discussion less than a year ago, they were asking him some questions. He he kept shrugging his shoulders and says, Oh, I don't know. You're to Billy?
3: <laughs>
4: There's companies that have been making cell phones and they put Pac Man on it. They wanted to know how close it was to being authentic. And suddenly I get a phone call from somebody and say, you know, Maurice at Napco said to call you, can I send you a phone for you to play? And I say, yeah, sure. So he'd send me the phone to play. So it's very flattering. Um, without a doubt, it's sent me around the world, and sent me, I could spend every weekend traveling and doing this if I didn't have a family, which I mean, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't trade for the world. But the fun of meeting people like you, having this experience, and the classic gaming rage beginning to grow uh, from 1999. Again, it turned about 20 years old then, and it was a renewed interest just like a car. In Tokyo, Masaya Nakamura, the father of Pac-Man and the godfather of video games, credited that story, that went around the world, as a resurgence in interest in classic gaming. I'd like to think that's true, and if it is true, there's nothing I would have rather done more. So, come back. One thing though, this is my disclaimer, there's nothing more difficult than going to a show like this, and playing, or trying to execute something. At a contest it doesn't matter, you just say all oh, the heck with it? and you start again. But when you're at a show here, you'll try to execute something to woe the crowd so to speak, you're trying to do something that you really wouldn't do under a contest environment. But you try it anyway, you capture the crowd's attention and you screw it up, and then you get the wise guy, oh who I have died already? I could that. So <laughs> that's probably what I'm uh, concerned about the most here. Anyway, all will start talking so well, thank you, Billy.
5: So anyway, as Billy starts playing, I want to emphasize one thing that's interesting. So we're in the Louisville and Ohio Cincinnati area. So is this like a Cincinnati Reds area? Is this like a Pittsburgh Pirates area, or where are I, I want to make a I wanted to make a baseball analogy. Okay, Saint so Louis Cardinals. Okay. Saint Louis Cardinals. There's a baseball analogy for you. The best Golden Gloves second baseman or third baseman or shortstop—you know those Golden Glove champions who have their best season possible—they still make, you know, some mistakes in the course of the season. Just for but they make so few mistakes that they are lauded as being the best in the field at that time. And they will have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to make mistakes, but they only make a few. When Billy this if anybody on the same level you know, which is only another couple of people uh, they have not just the 29,000 corners but all sorts of other places where there's bottleneck obstacles and ways they can lose their game in the course of getting that perfect Pac-Man those tens and tens and tens of thousands of moments when they can blow the game they have to execute every single one of them and not miss once so you can't even do this once, if you do, then you automatically don't have a perfect athlete. So, the accomplishment is far greater than the greatest, greatest season any baseball player's ever had in the history of baseball. So that's an interesting perspective when you look at it that way.
4: Knowing that there were other guys who were good, knowing that Rick in Canada was good, knowing that he was on my heels, what you saw me do right there was what we call perfect patterns. I actually played purposely without patterns because I wanted to do something that somebody else couldn't repeat. Even though if they would repeat it later, they wouldn't be able to repeat it as I did. They wouldn't play the most difficult manner there was without patterns, which is far, far more difficult. For example, this Backman is without patterns. It's simply game control. And so I did that then, sort of a preemptive strike, in order to always keep me ahead of the crowd. Um, probably Rick could do it without patterns, although he hasn't, he probably could, and the other guys could not. They've all done it based upon what they've learned from River myself. So I'll go ahead and I'll play Miss Pac-Man, which will show the actual control that we talk about. And the fact of the matter is, when we do the second board, I'll signal to you. And you'll understand what playing down the 160th of a second can actually do or create or make
3: happen.
4: Well, I'll signal to you.
5: Billy signals to me, I want you to look closely at the screen there because he's going to demonstrate something very interesting.
4: You're not
5: going to believe this. There's zero credit. Somebody got a quarter? Well, maybe they have a broken token. token broken. To the wire. Interestingly enough, when we were were receiving scores on Pac-Man, when the scoreboard first began... For some time, as the squad began to get higher and higher, one day a news station in Buffalo, I think Buffalo, New York called up and said, oh, the machine had a meltdown. The guy beat the headline to the music with, man beats Pac-Man machine, machine melts down. And what it was, we had come across the first time ever, what becomes the split-stream, everybody knows about now, the kill screen, the split screen at the end. But no one knew it was there, and Namco, they have never really thought it out too far because they never thought anybody would be able to play the game all the way to the end, so they didn't even have an expectation of how it would manifest when people started reaching this kill screen, the screen at the end. So when those first few times happened, that people started reaching the, kill, reaching the kill screen, everybody, including us, at the scoreboard, thought we were seeing a mistake or a problem or a meltdown or a mechanical malfunction. No one had any inkling for a long time. That this was going to be the way things are. That the split screen is how the game ends for everybody. And to this day, we we, get, we have it on um, good authority that no one ever gets to the split screen. That is the definitive final end of the game. And um, and that's what led to the realization that oh, if we get as many if we point press and get as many points as we can on the way there to the split screen, someone will eventually one after another. Not and, uh, and that's what led to the rush to getting perfect boards with all that free time the highest points possible on each screen so that the average score by the end would be the highest possible. Which finally led to the realization of 360 points. And in this pattern tab- that is playing now, um, there's many other elements like, uh, you know, in my life is more and so with those variation possible, um, you know it's not determined what the highest possible score could be after this background. So this, you know, so that, that's still open though, to possibilities for people to break the world record. However, the world record hasn't been broken now probably in about a decade. I think it's still at like 933,000. Yeah. 933. Yes. And uh, no one's broken down in about a decade, so. Interesting to see what we have. There'll be something right here in the like Remember? So watch this with Billy really because it's going to be something he's gonna have, to have you guys watch. But I'll just say this. Here's what's very really interesting about the legacy of these old arcade coin-op games that we all have, that we all love, and that's why we're here. Is that they have a a, a a greater shelf life and a greater legacy going into the future than maybe even realized. For instance, Donkey Kong has a high score. his high score has now reached 1,190,000 points. And that's very, very significant. It's so high that for the other top players in the world, to even beat that, they have to play okay. hundreds and hundreds not thousands of games before they finally plan- Put everything together and uh, and break the world record. And because of that huge investment of time and effort and energy, most of them, their wives aren't going to like that. Their families aren't going to like that. And uh, they can interfere with their lifestyle their jobs, maybe even their safety or something. So some of these scores are going to stall and not go any higher for a long time. But because these games, these old arcade games, are so incredible, and the game plays so good
4: that they are always going to be a part of our culture what are you all nervous about it's me (laughs) so what happens is it all comes down to game control they're in a loop right now and the fact of the matter is there's a lot of loops within the game I'm going to go ahead and clear the board and again by going down to one sixtieth of a second right in that area right there You'll watch and you'll see what'll happen. And again, I give Rick credit. Rick can do it. There's other players, even at this high level, they don't do it because they die most every time they try to do it. So even I was trained by these
5: guys once, I couldn't end up figuring any stuff out myself. I can not figure out how these guys get I mean, the stuff
4: out. This will be something if I die. I could actually <laughs> even get 335 on this package, using all these tricks that I learned from the games that I did anybody see that? It was crazy. Did anybody see that? Yeah. Yes. Because Walter got uh Walter got lost.
5: Okay. <laughs> I didn't see
4: your signal. I got lost. So you went to the man, didn't you? Yes. Can you do it again? Yeah. Next game. <laughs> So,
5: some of you saw, he actually ran his, his Pac-Man through one of the ghosts, like it was the there. And I think there other Newell
4: is you that happens in the course of the game? No. Right,
5: Sorry, that's only time you missed
4: it. So what he's going to do, if he knows what he's doing, <laughs> is he's going to rapid advance the Pac-Man up to the split-screen, up to the final board. And that's where the secret formula was of what creates a perfect score that nobody knew, that we knew, that we shared with Walter, which basically kept it safe from anybody being able to lie or pretend like they could do it. And so, again, it all comes down to game control. And the fact of the matter is that when you play and you execute and you do it without patterns, you have to have control of the game. And that's exactly why, why it was done this way. When we went to Namco, I was finally seated in front of Masaya Nakamoto and his inner circle of marketers and programmers, and I thought, gee, there's not a kid that ever played video games who didn't want to be right here in this seat, and I told him that. And so I finally thought, gee, I could ask him questions. I said, geez, at the end of the game, when this happens on the split screen and that happens, what you know, and I asked him a question, and they all looked back and forth at each other, and they said, uh, they all spoke in Japanese and came back to the interpretation. Oh, Mr. Mitchell, we have no idea. Okay. You know more about Pakistan mean, than we know. And I said, oh, and I guess I should have paid better attention because it just made me fire another question at him, And they went back and forth and they talked about it. The interpreter shrugged his shoulders and says, Mr. Mitchell, we have no idea. We never thought scores like this possible. And I said, oh. So then they had a question. And it became clear to me, for two hours, I sat there fielding questions from them to me about video games. So that's why I say that was the absolute highest point in my illustrious career that I could sit there and I could be in that seat and have those big shots fielding questions this way. I mean, that was truly, truly unbelievable. When I went, Walter went there, I got a first class plane ticket. And uh, first class to Tokyo and back. I mean, the guy was the kindest guy I could ever met. Uh, Walter took two days to get there. Two days. He had a flight, he got bumped, he got canceled, and everything else. He finally arrived there. But the fact of the matter is when I got there, they were ready. I says, geez, what kind of car am I going to get in? Everybody's this tall. And I go out and I get to the car. They had removed the front seat of the car for me to sit in the back so that I'd have enough room to sit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stories like that. And there was probably 100,000 people at the Tokyo Game Show. It was me and two other Americans, and that was it. And I'd walk around, and I'm walking with people this big. And as I walk. I didn't have any security, nothing. It was crazy. And the, and the crowd would just part. I felt like I was Hulk Hogan walking to the ring or something <laughs> like that. And so, Walt, come back. Come on, I got more work to do. i have Walter tell you about some of what
5: happened to him in Japan. So, what are you going to do now? Are um, going to rack advance it? Yeah, we're going to rack advance it. Back. Okay, so they're going to rack advance it, which is illegal. Are so you doing a competitive game?
4: Surely, $100. Yeah, for $100,000. We started offering bounties. We had people who said that they got 8 million points on Donkey Kong. They got uh, perfect scores on Pac Man. We started offering bounties. We offered $100,000 to anybody who could successfully play a split screen. We had people say, I've done it 20 times. Well, that's good for $100,000. You can't bribe me, they'd say. Did you can bribe me for $100,000? Absolutely. We'd have people say, Oh, I don't need the money.
3: <laughs>
4: we had a guy who we were pursuing who said he got eleven million on Donkey Kong. We tried calling him, he got his number changed, we went to go visit him, we moved, he actually moved away. <laughs> there was that guy in New Jersey? <laughs> Well oh,
5: yeah, we once we once got a SWAT team together champion players in the car and we would drive different places to try and visit the people who made amazing plays, swap doing and
4: half okay. 13
5: ways and Donkey Kong all sorts of outrageous. Okay. scores. Out the yeah. It was funny, how fast Yeah. Yeah, I can After get it. They threw us out and said, we're unholy people to so down to the floor. So, uh, so it essentially, uh, it was an interesting picture being stalking back in the old days, because uh, uh, it was a pioneer, it was a man-new, a wild web story, run, running the
3: world, running the world, running the world, running the world, running and that process
5: still goes on. If you go to the TwinGalaxy.com website, you'll see that there's still learning and still developing things with uh, reality tracks and ice scores, and uh, information on games and uh, it's all part of an evolutionary process that goes farther and farther and farther and farther and farther. And even today, because the games by the way, these old games have so many layers of intelligence to them that even now, many of those old classic games, are still getting towards higher and because they're able to learn more and more about the different layers of the game, that make up the gameplay. A lot of modern games don't have all that layered stuff, and you can move the game pretty fast. And we know the game as well, as you probably never know it, which is we it. We known it. It's just a question of access to the internet. But a lot of these old games now are assume what things that the players are uncovering, and practicing, during more and more and more and more. So it's pretty remarkable. And that's why is always going to be a very fine I think that's because of the all legendary old games that a hundred years from now, on CNN, you're going to see someone make an announcement on the news saying, "Today, the 80-year-old donkey Kong world record was finally broken by some guy who had played for 40 years straight until he finally one-time broke that world record." And uh, people will do that because these games are so amazing. All these old classic games we love are so amazing that they will always be a part. of of the culture of our times, from generation to generation. So these guys are trying to get this rack a to sort right. rack a meaning that they're moving through all the screens so that they're going to move all the way up to the, I guess it's the 255th screen, right before the final split screen, so really demonstrate some of the dynamics that you see there. And most people probably never replayed the Batman game up to the split screen, so this is kind of a, a rare treat. Anybody have questions? No. Anybody got answers? You may may get all the way through the game to the end. Well, when Billy did it, he didn't use patterns, so he did it, I think, in about six hours. But people who became very adept at doing... See, since then, I think eight people have done a perfect game now. He was the first, but I think eight people now have done it. Seven. Seven people. Seven people. And I think that two or three of them have been able to fine-tune their technique. Forty
4: Under four hours anyway.
5: Under four hours <laughs> So he did it in no pattern, but the people patterns can do it about
4: two and a half hours 83. Uh 1983. Now the truth of the matter is we kept saying that we didn't just want to do it in an arcade where there was nothing big. We wanted to do it like like in the Hard Rock Cafe in London, England or we kept waiting for that monstrous opportunity. And the truth is that games and contests actually came to a close in 1986. It was like the end of the golden age. And so yeah, we just got lazy and we became complacent because there was nothing going on. There was no competition. Well, suddenly in 1999, just like a car turns 20 years old, video games did, and there was a renewed interest. And with that renewed interest, became a renewed competition. And at that same time, as luck would have it, came the challenge from the Canadians. So putting all those worlds together, you know, created that actual explosion you know I've often said to myself I've tried to say how is it that I would possibly duplicate what it was that happened way back then how could I draw that much uh, attention again how could I create a story that would be that big again and all that energy and all that force and all that luck and all that that came together I don't know how I could ever do it I mean I actually don't think that I can and I've pondered it and I I don't. I mean, all there had to be was some major crime that happened that weekend. And that story would not have went across the AP wire. It would not have gone all over the world. And it would it would not have been that big a deal. But because it did happen, uh, news people started to follow us. Camera people started to follow us. Uh, At one time, there was about eight different film companies that were following us. And of the eight companies that were following us, there was probably two that were real serious and ahead of the rest. And those are the two that ultimately came to be uh, the king of Kong and chasing ghosts. Go, Walter. (laughs) He's a screwball. So the fact of the matter is they they began to um, follow us, and it just got bigger and bigger. Some of the smaller guys who simply didn't have the ability to keep up with the larger ones, began selling their film footage. Everywhere we went, there was always a camera following us. I mean, we got off the plane in London, there was a camera following us. We got off the plane in Sweden, there was a camera following us. It just, it became something we didn't really, whether we liked it or not, it was happening. So we, we just ran with it. So. Walter. He's a screwball.
3: <laughs>
4: now, I was talking about how the film crew started falling, it was because of that. So, you could take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Walter's drawing a blank. Well, you
5: know, when the are chasing ghosts in uh, you know the room, you're chasing ghosts in the room. He sees the King of Kong, You okay. see, Chasing ghosts too. But at the time that Chasing Ghosts was being filmed, the King of Kong was being filmed at the same time. Plus there were four other film crews at the same time. And six film crews all around, and eventually two of them dropped out. One solo put into the King of Kong, and two movies came out. Six crews, two movies. And all the crews hated each other. And they were all there at the same time, again, again and again in the same the phones at the same time and most people don't realize that was just
4: back scenario going on, they came upon
5: and, and, so really and the
4: Yeah, a little sooner.
5: A little sooner? A little yeah,
4: because yeah, I'll put this in a hiding spot. Okay, I'll let and you know that that.
5: On, okay. okay. so that's why this, which left all these different movies it. So it was very interesting. And uh very trying actually. Uh but of course we have an interesting heritage now, because King of Kong and Chasing Goats are very you know,
3: sort of classic movie.
5: In fact, did you guys know that some film historians just about two or three months ago had finished the project where they had analyzed or sex or evaluated? the 3,000 movies that were created in the last 10 years so that they could select their top 30 movies out of the last 10 years and they named the King of Kong number 29. So that's a lot of other really important movies that they placed in historical books more than so they, they placed in less than what they had the King of Kong That's what they did. Mm-hmm. So, I wanted to do this. Where's Matt? You pause right there, Billy. So, is Matt here? Because I just saw Matt a moment ago. Matt, okay. Now, here's the thing. Billy and I have been to dozens and dozens. It's beyond countable how many shows we've been to? And I just wanted to tell you guys, that this is a really good show. This is way above average for shows. So, since we're all here in so many interview, I want, just in case, There's no other moment in the course of the remaining time now that we have a crowd this big gathering in front of these guys. I think it should be right now that we all stand up and give our standing ovation and thanks for them. So let's get up and do this, okay? everyone out in the crowd, to our fans, our supporters, people that bring machines, the city of Louisville, just being able to,
2: what's her? He messed up my flow, I don't know, hold on. Just, it's, a, it's
5: recreating the arcade experience for everyone again has been just a dream and we're, we're really glad to share it with all of you. Thank you so much for coming here after year and, and continuing to support us. Thank you. Wait, hold on, hold on. Not yet. Right. Thank you Also, thanks to Jordan News back there. see you. T. Jordan. Alright, so like uh, they were making a reference to baseball, uh, with all the power powerhouse scores and stuff like that, uh, little famous for little Slugger Bats. So we got some special little Slugger Bats that we give away to all our other uh, um, speakers uh, that come in. So this is Walter Days, little Slugger Bat. Coolnesses if I ever become an extra on The Walking Dead? (laughs) You know what I'm getting at, huh? (laughs) This works, huh? How, how do you take the mustache on
4: talking? I Let the mustache fly off. Trade secret. So some of the really cool things that happened because of this, just because of this uh, notoriety that we fell upon. And I'm the very first one to say, the good fortune has come my way. Balls just bounced in my favor. Things happen for me. I have a saying every time something goes wrong with Walter, he was four hours late getting here. Because one of his flights had to turn around, and there's a line, I said, Man, that stuff only happens to you. (laughs) It seems every flight it happens to him. But the good fortune that's come my way, I mean, I absolutely recognize it, I'm absolutely grateful for it. I won't ever admit to it on the the big screen, because it's not what I do. But the fact of the matter is, one of the things that we did was, we were chosen by Microsoft, to go to Sweden with Guinness World Records to authenticate the world's largest land competition. Walter, pay attention, put it down. (laughs) So what happened was we flew to Sweden where we met uh, the Guinness World Records, and I go back to the game while Walter tells you about Sweden. It was really interesting counting all those computers. And now that I've thrown you under the bus, you can explain that.
5: I would watch watched Open Games the board, of like to visit. But uh, to get back to the bat, <laughs> the bat is so cool. This is like a really cherished gift. I mean, this, I never would have expected this. This is so unbelievable. This is great. How many people have a bat? A movable bat? How many have a dumb name on the bat? You know? Okay. So, uh, so, let me ask you this. How do you say movable? is Louisville? Louisville! it. Tell me when I This is not
4: Louisville. Louisville? Is Louisville? Yes. 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 How much? What time are we at? Okay. Oh, right
5: stop.
4: Oh no! I got to be in the back, otherwise we lose it. So we wait 17 more minutes.
5: You know what I mean? And, uh, it seems like you, you do the have a major the high one. I it's not, not baseball here, football here. Uh, but I come from Boston, so I'm a Tom Brady singer. So that was a the society. So a you see So you see how I sidestepped Billy, one me to talk about, <laughs> about we, we went there, and we had Clippers. We were with the science editor of the Guinness Book of the World Records. And we went down these
3: lines with Dream Hat where there were 5,850
5: Computers all hooked
3: up together and they're counting, they're all and all that counting all these computers so
5: that Guinness could officially verify thank you guys, thank you very much, for thank, you God. God. thank you guys, great mustache. And so we were, we were verifying with the Guinness World Record the most machine ever hooked up from a single LAN network. It was really amazing. Yeah, But it was an eye opener, too, because as we're going down with all these young Europeans and all the computers, all the students were all the and crazy stuff like that, it was nuts. But it was a very interesting experience. And Sweden was one of the most incredible places we'd ever been. Go away. Sweden was one of the most amazing places we'd ever been. See, I'm going to tell you the real story, (laughs) kid. But one thing that was interesting. The science editor, when we know the science is, editor, we he lost sight opens machines. up this folder. Yeah. Okay, what, what and he shows be? us I'll
3: sh- I'll show you. what
5: okay. Gans was recognizing is the first sound of spawn email. Okay.
3: It
5: turns out that someone was able to prove that back many years before, at a moment when there were only hundred and eighty-five email addresses existed in the entire world, and all 185 of those guys knew each other. And we're corresponding because they were part of the educational network. And Some guy going to the big computer, what were they used to be called? The Death Show? Or what, what was the computer show of 30s, 40 years ago? But he was going to it, so he sent a consulisted email to the other 185 guys, and that became just his first spam email. Okay, so I thought was very cool. Let's hear up spam. <laughs> Okay, so you see I'm running out of things to say.
1: <laughs> and uh Here you go, Billy, flashlight. You need it?
5: I I want to say something about Billy. Uh, you know, I just uh, 1430 you know, he's all flamboyant he is, got the white suit on and everything, but uh, he so wasn't underneath uh, all yeah, that he like, actually yeah. is a, an amazing, amazing achiever who uh, has brought video game playing to a level that's quite profound. That's and big that's big. why the guy who got to get the first it's perfect task. That's why he's in the dumping on the channel. That's why all those computer, all those uh, film guys followed him around all those films because he's an interesting story. So I and all the rest of us have been following him and they're following him. He wants to go back uh, back. back. Yeah, yeah. To be a, be a part of the gloves. Okay, so they're still working on rapid enhancement. If you're watching the screen, you see it strobing from uh, screen to screen. And uh, they have to go all the way to the 250th of the screen. So we would have had to
4: play
5: every one of these almost. Anybody got a baseball on? Who brought their, their gloves?
4: Uh, we're okay, 15.30 now, Billy.
5: Any questions out there? There's All right. How tall is Billy? Billy at
3: 612.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's a little over 65. Yeah. Uh, 15.45. Oh, Come up here. Come up here. I am Ross Walter. Okay. Remember, so, let me tell you the story about the shirt. So Joel West is out there at our booth. We're coming back to a bit in Chicago and there's two car loads of us. And he's in the car behind us. And he when so we come to a toll and then we move forward and his car is back at the toll and it dawns on us so he has no change to pay for the toll. Yeah, six fifteen. So he's there, so we stop the car and we get ready to run back to give him cash to pay to go through the toll. But suddenly he drives up and appears beside us. And he's all excited and he says some crazy stuff in the window and he goes around 16-9. to the back of his car and it turns out he had driven through the toll without paying with one of those shirts closed pinned over his license plate. Okay? 1640 And we're all worried he might get caught but he doesn't. Then a few days later I get a letter from the Illinois toll authority accusing me of going through these four tolls without paying. Pay it. And I pay every toll always. So I get unfairly accused while he's the one who uses my shirt to go that's, through this toll. That's seventeen, okay? So we decided that we'd start making this a kit. This is a get through any toll kit and we sell the shirt for, you know, whatever this is, $20 and comes with two clothes and a and 150-page instruction and how to affix it to your license plate. So that you can buy the shirt, you can wear it, but you can also use to put on your you license plate. anytime you want to get through, there's the slip screen. We did our first show in a couple of months,
3: so it's perfect timing.
5: Yeah, and you get to put that on your license plate. A hey, me the yeah, right so there up. they are. Okay. <laughs>
4: Okay, so we would have had to play every one of those screens all the way up there, executing all those corners. And what you see here, and we're going to get a better shot up, because we're going to move the camera over. Let's see over there? You can't see so good. Oh, sorry. Yes, and what happens is the left side is normal and there's not enough memory within the game for the right side of the screen. Those aren't the right walls. On what we call the blind side, there's 11 dots. You can eat nine of them. Two of them you cannot eat. They won't eat. You can run over them constantly. And the fact of the matter is, you get there on your first guy, you clear all the dots without dying. All of them. Then you die on purpose. The nine dots on what they call the blind side or the bad side, they rejuvenate and they reappear and you eat them again. You let your guy die, those nine dots reappear and you eat them again. You do that six times. What happened with Rick was he got there on his second guy. So he denied himself one guy or one opportunity to eat those nine dots. He essentially did what I did, but he died once. No, wow. And so the fact of the matter is, in order to advance the Pac-Man screen, you have to eat 244 dots. There's not 244 dots on the screen, so you cannot advance the screen. That's why anyone who says, oh, I did, oh, I got lucky. No, you didn't. There's not enough dots on the screen, not even close. So the fact of the matter is, that was the formulation, I'm sorry, of the 11 dots. Uh, five are visible, six are invisible. Nobody. Even knew where they were. We actually had to map it out. We had a map that we laid over it. Again, we shared all this with Walter and with no one else in order to keep people from claiming that they did it. The only thing we did do was get off our lazy selves and do it. We didn't do it until we had to, until the Canadians came along. They're kind of a whipping post. You know, I say to them, I say, Canada? That's not really a country. That's like a British colony. I mean, he is a constant whipping post, Rick. But he's actually a really good guy. And the one part the one part of the screen is key. Every single person here, when you play up to there, now you're going to know how to do it. In the corner here, right there. There's the letter BC. At first we said that stands for Beat the Canadians. (laughs) Then we said it stands for Billy Champion. But the fact is, that's a hiding spot that I learned. If you go there and you hide there, all the guys will trap themselves, well, three out of four, they'll all trap themselves they won't chase you, you can't die, and you can do exactly as I did when I got the perfect score. I showed this to the people from Namco for the first time in Chicago last May. Not only had they never seen a split-screen, they certainly never saw how to do that. So when we went to Sweden, the guy picked us up at the airport. It was a three-hour drive. He was as normal as any guy. He was 25 years old. He spoke English. He said, everybody there speaks English. Even the kids don't even speak Swedish. He said they learned that they had to speak English to compete in the world. He was as normal as any guy. Then, just to show you a drastic difference in culture, you know where I'm going with this? So, the second day we were there, and in the middle of a show like this, this might give you some ideas for next year. In the middle of a show like this, on stage right here, they have a drag queen contest. And there's a half a dozen guys up there. And I go, hey, that's our driver. I go, one of the guys goes, he looks pretty good. He <laughs> actually came in second place. <laughs> so afterwards, and then he's standing there with his girlfriend. I go, what are you doing, man? Are you crazy? And he goes, oh, you're so a tighty, stuffy Americans. I go, you're right, I am. I ain't going no up there. <laughs> so it was just kind of different. Kind of seeing what they all had on their computers as they were going around cars. Boy, that was really entertaining. That's something here you get arrested for. <laughs> Walter, don't get upset. Come over here. Get yourself back to follow. And there's a group who says, You look like Canada, So, any questions? This is the tough part. i got to start the game and run around front and play.
5: This is one worth watching, this is fun. Very few people see this. Actually, I think there are YouTube videos that show people doing
4: this. Ooh, I almost got toasted. Sorry, now I can do it. You go up, you go through the tunnel, you pull down. Turn around and, sh- and turn around and show off, because we're all going to get trapped. They get caught in an alleyway along the right side. The walls on the other side actually don't exist. That's why you see the. That's why you see the goofy guy in the bottom. It looks like he's breakdancing. And the other three are trapped in the side. They went in and they can't get out. So doing the board is easy to say the least. Here, you hold that. <laughs> okay, here's what you do. Sir, here's what you do. Forget about the three, they're trapped. Okay, you know where you are? Can you see you? Oh. yeah. Just stay away from that guy, no matter what. Wherever he is, go the other way. Go eat the dots, but stay away from him. Go that way and up first. Go left. Go left. Stay away from that guy. Go back. Okay, now go Look out. Go back. Go get the key. Get it. Ah, you blew it. All right. Oh, she wants to keep going. Okay. Okay, see those four dots there? Run over those four. That's one, two. Eat the other ones! (laughs) When I said there's eleven dots, you could eat nine of them. Those are the two you can't eat. See the one by the F? Don't run into the guys. Come back down. See the one right there? By the F? Very good. Go down here where it says no, no, no. Go up and down. Way over here, that's all of them. All right, now we're going to die. Now she's gonna trap him, just like I did. Now you got nine more dots eat. Go left through the tunnel. Pull down, right now, pull down. Let go. That's it, you're on your way, you're a champ. But as you see, the dots that she ate, they disappeared, now they reappear. There's nine more dots, there's nine more dots. Again, what Rick did, he did what I did, he just died one time doing it. Nobody in the world planned on this. There's enough memory in the game for the left side. The right side there's not enough memory for, and that's why that happened. Well, we got a champion.
5: Maybe we'll leave it. We'll leave it on that
4: screen. Yeah, you can't. You can't try to go back through the tunnel opposite. If you do, you go in a lock position, and you'll never die there because you can't move. And the only way to fix it is unplug the machine. So anyway, that's the actual story, the logistics of what happened. But again, the truth of the matter is. The ride, or the ride of fame, and the ride of good fortune, and traveling, and going to shows like this, it is absolutely incredible. Shows that we've interacted with, I think this is the 178th show. The reason why I know that is because I keep track of the number of posters that we've created for shows, and it's it's even gotten to the point where we have said, haven't you, that we don't want to do any more shows. We're tired. But the fact is, we enjoy it so much that we just continue to do it. Uh, we actually do work really, really hard at this. Is we work hard at the ideas. We work hard at the promotions. We'll spend hours talking about what we did right here and how to iron it down so the next time we make it more interesting, we make it better. But. Again, the fact is, going around the world looking at things, meeting people, uh, the stories we can tell. Like, I'm, always, I'm often asked to tell, they go, Billy, come over here, uh, tell us a Billy Mitchell story. And I'll tell a story, something that only happens to me. But what I started doing, because I, I guess I try to push the envelope, is I tell what I call anti Billy stories. I'm in the store. And I'm with a friend of mine, who's very much a fan of mine, and he sees a guy, sees a kid, about your age, looking at some video games, and the guy goes, so you like video games? And the kid goes, yeah. And he goes, uh, what do you think about Billy Mitchell? I'm in the next aisle. And he goes, who? He goes, Billy Mitchell. He goes, who's that? the guy goes, you know, Billy Mitchell, he's the player of the century. He goes, what century? <laughs> the guy goes, the 20th century. He had, like, the world record on Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. Pac-Man? He says, that's retro, man. Nobody plays that. So there's all kinds of funny stories like that. And the other one I always tell is, I'm walking into the staples with my wife, and I can see people in the window pointing as we go walking in. I guess I have a distinct look. And I go, well, we're going to have fun at this store. So we're walking through the store, suddenly my wife goes, Bill, these people know you, they want to say hi to you. So I come from the next aisle, like I always do. I never hide. I always say, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Billy Mitchell, the guy goes, I knew it! I knew it, I knew it, I saw you, I knew it, I saw you on the TV. I, I, I knew it was you, I told my girl. He goes, You got the world record? I go, Yeah, he goes, pum, 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 pum. Ping pong! Yes. And I go, What's that? I go, Ping pong? Yeah, Ping pong! And I go, he goes, oh, Pac-Man? He goes, you Pac-Man? I go, no, never mind, get away. So, uh, so I, I do, I have funny stories about like that. So. It's, there's not a single day ever, ever, ever goes by that I don't get recognized in public. And I promised myself that I would never unappreciate it, and the fact is I don't. I, I still appreciate it, uh, you know, the same as I always do. So we got the game here. Why don't we start picking on people? To get <laughs> stay away from the other people. stay away from someone on the other side. But so the fact that fame or that good fortune or that collateral damage. What Walter doesn't like <laughs> Walter's like a real proper guy and what he doesn't like is when I get up there and I bring some of the emails that I received or when I play some of the uh, audio notice my phone's not even here audio of the voicemails I received because I do receive emails that I wouldn't share with a bunch of drunken crap boys they're so outrageous I mean they're beyond cruel, and uh, but I've been in adult locations where I played some of the voicemails and the fact that matter is, it only goes about three seconds into the voicemail and you can't hear what's said because everybody starts laughing hysterically got think of one I can say here. Uh, I had a call and I, I was, I mean, I'm on the phone and I hung up and I was in a bad mood. It had something to do with business and I'm just sitting there. And remember, I was in a bad mood. So I answer the phone I go, hey, I heard guy goes, uh, is Billy there?" And I go, yeah, it's Billy. What can I do for you? Uh, like he hangs up. That happens sometimes. So then, uh, He's still alive. <laughs> so then, so all the phone rings again and I can see it, I go, okay. okay. Well, I'm gonna help you, I Billy. I go, yeah, he doesn't know I I I just want you to know, I I think what you did was horrible. And I go, oh yeah, another horrible thing, what happened? That guy came all the way to the restaurant, he came inside, and he didn't even have the DCC to go in and say hi to him. And I go, and that's what you think happened? I know it's what happened, I saw the movie. And I go, so you saw the movie, so you figured that's the way it happened. He goes, oh, you were trying to say it, didn't I go, no, 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 I'm telling you, they didn't tell you the whole story. Well, what's the story? I go, I said, later on when they shut the cameras off, I came in the back. I went in the restaurant, I grabbed them, I beat the little hell out of them, threw him in a dumpster. <laughs> the guy goes click and he hangs up the phone. Oh, I'm only kidding. I call back, I go, hey, wait, click. I call back, I go, hey, we know didn't click. And then I got busy and I lost track of it. So I never did tell the guy I was kidding. So somewhere he thinks that I grabbed Steve Weaving and beat him up and beat him But the fact of the matter is, we I went in the restaurant and what's unique is, that was in 2006. Now I knew Walter since 1982. And that day, should be that I came in the back of the restaurant, that was the very first time. you going to stay there? Yeah. yeah. Did Walter? Yeah. Brian, anybody ever, ever, ever met my wife or any one of my kids. We actually went. We were there, we sat down, I sat in a new with them, and like a knucklehead, I bought them dinner. And, uh, but they make the movie like they make the movie. But it's fun. I actually wouldn't change it, because it's much more fun to be a villain than it is to be. The two producers, the director and him, they have ties back to childhood, so he knew the plot of the movie. And the fact of the matter is, he has blonde hair and blue eyes. He is not going to play a villain. At least not an effective one. Oh, we got another courageous guy here. Come on, step up, both feet. <laughs> See, I start telling these stories, Walter does this on purpose, and then he leaves. <laughs> Certain things only happen to Walter. We're in L.A., and we gotta go somewhere. Walter, I'm talking about you. We're on a fifth story, and we got a few hours to go before we have to be somewhere. And he got something spilled all over his pants, because when you're Walter, that's what you do. He takes his pants and he puts them on the balcony to dry. He puts them on the balcony to dry, a few hours later he goes out to the balcony on the fifth floor and they're gone. I look down the ground I go, hey, what's that way down there? He goes, wow, that's it. He makes his way down five flights of stairs. He grabs his pants. He comes back up. He puts his pants on. He puts his belt on. He's got his referee shirt on, and we're ready to go again. He steps out of the room. Suddenly, his belt pops and his pants fall down. Why? Because that's what happens to Walter. So then he takes it. He makes a suspender over his shoulder, tucks it under his shirt, and he heads there. Um... We go places. I get upgraded on a flight. He gets his flight canceled. You know, he gets bumped. Uh, these things happen to him. He, uh, but he has he has a good uh, a good sense of humor for it. Um, and the fact of the matter is, he puts in a ridiculous amount of time to do what he does, to do these cars, to do these awards, all the stuff that we'll be doing shortly as part of the program. I'm sorry. What happened? <laughs> You, what happened? I did what you said. He already ate all the dots, so he said to die, but uh, he also there's no more lives left. And then you didn't go to the hiding spot. The hiding spot. You must be Canadian.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Walter, it's time to close it down. Come up here. If you ever really want to aggravate Walter, you just steal his popcorn. It's the only vice he has. And he truly does. If you see what goes on here and it's continually, we're gonna have a Pac-Man World Championship, but be to sit there and watch two hundred and fifty-five boards and just have somebody run patterns would be really boring. So we're actually gonna find a way to change the timing one sixtieth of a second so none of those patterns work. And then whoever wins will win based, based on pure skill. So I was telling stories about you. So I heard.
5: Okay. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Billy has never given us more kind of presentation before. Before lunch, that is. And uh, so it was all experimental. And it's been a lot of fun. And we were honored to be here. Because this is an incredible show. The Wimmyville Show is a way above average show. Great spirit here. Fun friendly. People, lots of great games. Uh, so it's amazing. And I guess it's not that amazing because it seems to be really the trend that's going around the nation that people love the arcade era in this amazing Koenig Legacy that we all share together. Because maybe you didn't realize it yet, but we are all the first gamers. We were the ones who brought cyberspace to life and introduced video game playing as a way of life. And a hundred years from now, it's our whole generation, really about three generations, all look together. they will look back on and be aware that we were the ones who brought it to life. We were the first gamers. So we are honoring our whole culture. In our own times, still. So that's why the Louisville Arcade Expo is so important. and actually such a feather in the cap because this is a great event. So I want to leave you one last thought. The International Video Game Hall of Fame, which is being organized in tumble Iowa. Which is considered the birthplace of organized video game games. Consider the birthplace of organized esports now. Uh, they have a Hall of Fame, they're having a huge ceremony the weekend of August 5th through 7th, and okay, the first weekend of August. Please consider coming.
3: Of that celebration. And also, please consider going online to the International
5: League Hall of Fame and actually nominating someone for the Hall of Fame because the class of 2016, the nominations are still being accepted and it's something that uh, you both did participate in by nominating someone in many, many different categories. So please consider doing that and please consider coming to the WWE Capital of the World in Iowa, August 5th to 7th. We will meet lots and lots of legendary games and also important people who are just keeping the culture alive and turning it for celebration in the same way that this event the does.
0: Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with. But I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470 call bt That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com. For articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening.
2: The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Lidsey. And that's me. Music for The Broken Token Podcast, graciously provided by Hayseed Dixie. Head over to their website at www.hayseed-dixie.com. For videos, tour dates, merchandise, and to purchase music. One canned ham, water added, zero trans fat, signed by Billy Mitchell.
1: This is uh, this is number forty-two. We're not quite to a multiple of twelve, but <laughs> we're getting close.
2: Brent oh okay
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> your mic starting to sl- I don't know what is up with that hmm. there, there it went there it went ah <laughs>